Put on your big Hollywood sunglasses and light the torch, because it's cellar time. Welcome to the Crack Cellar. As the prophecy was once foretold. I'm Two-Spirit Penguin Daniel. And I'm Broadcaster Nichols. So EA Play 2020. Uh, This is the conference equivalent of a meeting that could have been an email. Oh, yeah, for sure, dude. 50 minutes, wasn't it? 50 minutes? You were like four minutes of that was necessary. (laughs) Yeah, so it was 50 minutes, but basically what I did is I played it, and whenever one of the EA talking head retards was talking, I just skipped fast forward, fast forward, all the way through that shit till we got to to the video game. Then I watched the video game, talking head comes back, fast forward again. Did that, felt like I got through it in five minutes. I'm pretty sure 90% of that was EA marketing. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I saw that snake in the very beginning, I was just like, skip. <laughs> and then I looked, I looked at the fucking timeline, and it's like, holy crap, this guy talks for like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and then what's his name? The old IGN employee comes out, and he talks to... Well, they show a few late lame games, and they start talking about Squadrons, which is like the only game people really want to see in that fucking whole 50 minutes. And yeah. What, make you sit through like... If you actually watched it, I swear, another 15 minutes of him talking to some dude in the back and behind him is a brand new Ikea slash maybe Amazon uh, basics bookshelf filled with (laughs) brand new fucking Star Wars memorabilia that clearly has never been touched. Uh, It's all set up in like the most pathetic pattern. It's just like, yeah, I live here. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm hip. I like Star Wars. I made this game. For sure, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally saw that too. This this was some of the fakest shit you've ever seen. It's like watching, it's like watching your parent like try and hang out with your friends and like be hip. Yeah, I I, I mean I couldn't even begin to understand the tactics or the minds of these people that make these press conferences or decide to execute them in the way they do. I mean, these companies could save fucking millions of dollars with their presentations it's just insane when you especially if you look back in like the past decade and how video games present you know announce themselves and present themselves they go to especially the early five years there were these e3 and and uh what's what's japan tokyo game show and there were all these conferences dude and they were just like over the top and those slowly died down even before the pandemic and now they're still trying to keep this tradition alive somehow in the digital space. And it's just tragic. It's cringy and tragic. It EA is. Player was a waste of millions of dollars. Because I know it was millions of dollars. <laughs> Don't even lie to me. It was, you're right. <laughs> and the sad thing is, like, they spent close to half of that video talking about Apex Legends. And I'm just like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> come on. I remember <laughs> when before all this you know when halo reach was coming out and bungie would everything halo reach came from bungie's own website and it was like a vidoc or or just an an, a blog that came out maybe once a month or once every other month you know Mm -hmm. that's all you fucking got 
I was super low budget, and they're one of the most famous. Like, that game is one of the best Halos, and on top of that, Bungie is one of the most respected developers of all time. And that's uh, how they did things. Yeah, you know, it's like what, I don't know where these like EA and Ubisoft and and uh, Microsoft and uh, Sony Entertainment like they all have this idea that they need to you know hire a choir to introduce Final Fantasy or some shit. <laughs> you know, yeah, you no. could literally make. Uh, a YouTube announcement and the hype would be the exact same. You yeah. Can ma- you could just release the trailer, maybe have a little live Q and a, and the hype would be just as real. Well, that's the problem really is that publishers have changed in the early days of video games. Publishers were basically just people that distributed your game for you and did logistics and shit. They had no voice in the development process. They had no notes for you. They had no political uh, stances that you have to take as a company or you're not allowed to go. It's it's totally different now. These publishers have basically become like the Washington Post or the New York (laughs) Times. But for video games, they're aggregating these video games and steering them. They're steering the talent to do what they want. It's crazy they're subsidiary the, companies. They are is what they are. They're just subsidiary puppets. They're not actually what they say they are. Yeah. Like, dude, when you looked at a publisher in the 90s of a video game, you looked at that and you're like, it's like UPS or FedEx. It's like this nameless thing that just sends stuff and they just you know facilitate things. But they, they had nothing to do with the package you're getting, right? That is not the case anymore at all. It's totally flipped. And that's the problem with these publishers uh, doing these conferences because it's no longer about the game itself. It's about them sending their global message about their overall gaming strategy out and posturing. It's all posturing nonsense. And no one's really watching any of this shit. Everyone's, I I guarantee you, they're all flipping through it like we are. No one wants to watch these goombas fucking talk about fucking, oh my god. Oh, now you can hunt PvE monsters in Apex Legends. Let's talk about that for 30 minutes with some idiot that sounds like he's a hostage. Not only is it a waste of time for the viewer and the company, the employees and the people paying for it. The, the the producers the the you know the, the production house whatever it is it's it's just a waste of fucking time these people could literally just pay if i was to sit down and legitimately enjoy an ea play video i would imagine it would have to be a some good games b Every time a game is introduced and you're even going to think of the idea of hearing people talk, it should be the people that created the game. All right. We don't need a host. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need an ex IGN employee host with the community a teleprompter. The community about manager. How, yeah. We don't need him and we don't need fucking the one of the most hated figures in video game history introducing the segment. First of all. <laughs> We don't need any of that. Like, I don't know why they want to spend money and do that shit. They could literally, it could literally start off with a dude on a couch in a fucking hoodie, and he could be like, "Hey, I made Rogue Squadron, and here's why it's badass." For yeah. five minutes, and then show gameplay or a movie clip, whatever the fuck they want to do. They could save hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And again, hype would be just as real. Maybe some people would be disappointed with like high production going away, but clearly they don't have a good rap sheet. 
Have you looked forward to anything highly high production in the last <laughs> decade from a video game company as far as uh, uh, advertisements go, like PR goes and shit? No one. I don't think I've ever heard someone be like, you know, damn. Did you see that conference for fucking infamous or did you see did you know, like, did you see uh, the Fallout 76 conference or did you see well, the, the Diablo announcement? All of it's tra- all of it's well, tragic. The Diablo Immortal sh- announcement shitty. was one people were talking about. <laughs> I did it's hear never that. A lot. Go- it's never no, good. Not for all the right. right is my point. Well, you know, it, it's never going in the good direction. It's always just not heard of or tragic <laughs> I'm, well i'm gonna i'm gonna shit on your point a little bit because there's one single example of it being positive in my memory for the last 20 years and it's recent it is the cyberpunk reveal with keanu reeves those fuckers were like exalting Cyberpunk's him. an outlier right I, it was CD a huge project red doesn't operate on right. the same wavelength as the industry does no it doesn't <laughs> it's a huge outlier like when you talk about western video game developers I do not include CD Projekt Red and Western game developers because they are much more akin to Japanese Eastern game developers than they are Western. They are For technically sure. Western, but as far as like the way they make games and the way they go about making games and their general demeanor with the way they interact with their customers and the media, way more Japanese-like than, say, like EA. Most definitely. I mean, they literally... <laughs> I was just ranting about people putting a whole bunch of money into advertisement and PR. I don't think CD Projekt Red does really any of that. <laughs> they no. very, very little. I mean, they do every once in a while, but it's very far and few between. You know, like the special edition RTX series graphics cards. They have the special edition Xbox Series X that's coming out. Yeah. You know, they have a few things, but you will never see a 50 minute, you know, video of them just hyping up their game or showing you some bullshit frivolous fucking video. That's not actual gameplay. I mean, this is, you're talking about a company that put has no qualm pushing back dates just because they just straight up. They just don't think it's ready. Quote unquote. Oh yeah. You know, they're just definitely like, we know we delayed this for the third time, but you know, it's just not ready. (laughs) That any other company that does that is usually under a very strict house like ea or ubisoft and like they're just like well we're we don't care the game's coming out and then it shits and bombs or whatever or people take advantage of a cheat and it ruins the fucking meta of the multiplayer or whatever you know and then you lose a bunch of money yeah and they don't give a fuck see project red literally doesn't give a fuck about that they don't they're not held to those standards no and that's what's so sad about watching the fall of blizzard because Blizzard used to be that. Blizzard was the CD Project Red of America. Yeah. It's the story of Blizzard's pretty tragic. It truly is. It's outside influence. It's just about money nowadays, you know. And I understand, you know, you're making something you want to get paid, but so beyond that now. Yeah. They like they want like people are concerned about their video games tapping into markets that they have no business being in. You know? <laughs> And it's and it's all, and if your game is censored or if it doesn't meet the quality, you know, it's just because it has to adhere to this very very obscure baseline, you know. Like when you get Diablo Immortal, for instance, you look at that day de- that debut of the game, and you're just like, these guys are convinced this was a good idea. <laughs> 
I don't think any of those guys thought their blowback was going to be as real, right? No, they're in because disbelief they're, about it. They're all, yeah, they're all, their heads are in the clouds with so much money from foreign influence and, and stuff like that, like Tencent in China. They're just like, well, I mean, who gives it? I mean, it's not even like the thought past their head that this might be re- received badly on their end. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it happens. I don't know. I, I I forgot what I was really, you know, bringing that up for. But you were just memorializing the old Blizzard you grew up with. Yeah, it's, it's sad. Well, before we uh, move on to our preview, I want to talk about the only game that actually mattered in the A Play 2020, which is uh, Woke Squadron. Broadcaster Nichols, did you notice the strong Wakandan women that are now Imperial pilots in the quote unquote fascist Imperial fleet? What is happening? I, I did notice Two Spirited Penguin. I did notice. And I want to bring something to the attention of our viewers. I think Disney might think women are evil <laughs> because this is the second Star Wars where we have a female starting out, at least starting out on the Empire side. Think about that for a second. There has been a quite of uh why aren't females on the good side? <laughs> even yeah. if you think about it, even the Star Wars movies, Ray ends up having a little darkness in her, mm-hmm. which ends up being <gasps> spoilers, Palpatine's daughter. By the way, I forget. <laughs> I want to go off track a little bit here. Uh did you hear that there might be a um JJ cut coming out of Rise of Skywalker? And it's going to have a different ending, the ending he actually wanted, but Disney forced him to do like the generic good guy wins bullshit at the end. That's a rumor going around right now. Apparently, (laughs) there's like over an hour of deleted footage from this movie that like had a lot of really stuff that you would have wanted to see. Like uh, one thing that sticks out in my mind is Ray's training in the jungle with Leia. There's like a whole lot of stuff with that. And a lot of plot points that they ended up changing. I'm wondering if the Snyder Cut is going to... If the Snyder Cut does well. And let's just say that like HBO Max gets record numbers for the Snyder Cut. Do you think this means that uh, we get the JJ Cut? Sure. I mean, why not? I mean, the Snyder Cut thing is definitely an experiment that everyone's looking at. Yeah. Because all movies are made this way. I mean, they're not as complexly cut down as justice league was with like directors switching hands and, and stuff like that. But all movies have a bunch of footage cut. And if there's a president set that you can release a movie and it's not received the the best as you perceive, then you can alter it with a whole bunch of cut footage and kind of tweak it to be a different ending or a kind of a different movie and re-release it. And there's like a precedent set for that being acceptable. To yeah. Me. Everyone's going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just not going to see, you know, high budget Marvel movies come out. I could see horror movies, drama movies, thriller movies doing that. You know, <laughs> if it's, if it's a big enough cult well, following, I could totally see that starting to be a thing. It's like music getting remixed by different true. artists. True. Yeah. You know, the movies, the movie industry has just been right for the taking with that type of shit. Well, the thing is, with a lot of movies, the cut scenes are just fluff that wasn't needed, like a little exposition between characters that was totally unnecessary for the movie as a whole. But with with you know the Snyder cut, it's like a different movie that they cut out. 
when they changed hands with Joss Whedon. And then with the with Rise of Skywalker, I don't know if you followed this or not, but there was significant rewrites, reshoots, and reshuffling, and the ending that we got is nothing like the ending originally intended. There was going to be like a 20-minute segment with Christian Haydenson, like young Anakin. He shot these scenes. Like, you can find interviews with him being like, yeah, we, we shot a bunch of stuff, but I they cut all of it. Like, he, he was on set for days shooting for this movie. There's When you think really? about that, yeah, when you think about that, and you, you just kind of just wonder, how different was the original vision of this movie from the eventually now really, settled on Disney I'm really intrigued. Disney I did not realize was, there's that much different footage. Yeah, well, that that is what I'm hearing. So we'll see if anything comes about. Uh, one thing I know for sure is that early on, before the Snyder Cut was approved, Disney went on the record and said we were never going to release the unused footage of Rise of Skywalker. They, it's really weird. When you look at it now, it's even weirder in retrospect. Like, right when the movie came out on Blu-ray, like, almost unsolicited, Disney just made this weird announcement where they're like, we have no intention of releasing any unused scenes, and we're, you're only going to get the theatrical cut of Rise of Skywalker ever. Like, preemptively, which makes you think, okay, so maybe they knew word of this drastically different version is going to get out, and they just want to nip it in the bud so people don't, like, get on, like, the release the Snyder Cut hashtags like they did to bully uh, DC into doing the Snyder Cut with HBO Max. Well, I mean, you know the law of probability. I mean, the fact that we're talking about it right now probably means (laughs) that it will happen. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a little bit of a sidetrack, but it's Star Wars related. So I think I think we can count that one uh, back to Woke Squadron. So uh, we have some strong woman and a, I think an alien guy on the rebel side. And then we get to the Imperial side when they show the squad, quote unquote. And, you know, it's it's like the Aryan nation. Granted, they kept that true to form. You know, it looks like Nazi youth and that's fine. But then later on, we get to the Woke Wakandan Imperial pilot, which totally invalidates their original this is our squad. This is their squad. We are politically divided and we're going to punch Nazis. You know, that whole thing. They kind of blew it by putting uh, our strong black female into the Imperial TIE fighter a little bit. So they're kind of well, muddying their sh- own message. I'm going to shatter that narrative. I think that it is not set up at all. I think the game has totally customizable characters. I think the the game is based... Uh, multiplayer at least is based on five players. It's your squad that you can easily customize. I'm theorizing, I'm assuming that the character that you play as in the campaign is totally customizable and is also your player in multiplayer. Hmm. And I think that's why in the cutscenes, when you see like the, the different characters all in their squads, it just shows a quick alliance or the rebellion versus the, um, the empire real quick. I don't think that's like in stone. Hmm. Yeah, I get the idea. Yeah, well, they showed a bunch of CG and they showed what we think is gameplay. And uh, the gameplay definitely looks much more like TIE Fighter and X-Wing, the original PC games for Star Wars. And it does Rogue Squadron, which I found interesting because this is obviously supposed to be a spiritual successor to Rogue Squadron, right? That's the intention. I think the name in- induces that that feeling for a lot of people, but I think anybody that's been around for as long as like tie fighters and, and other PC uh, old star Wars PC games like that, 
that you'll know it looks a lot more like tie fighters especially the cockpit view as soon as yeah. i saw like the cockpit view for some of the other fighters i was like oh this is just like tie fighters yep. you didn't really get i mean you could do that in rogue squadron but it was like an afterthought it was just a camera cockpit change and the game was mainly uh what was it is it kind of like a third per- it's kind of like a third, person, third person right yeah yeah That's really close default. third person all right. Well, uh, Broadcaster Nichols, are you ready to get to our preview of The Evil Empire, Sony Entertainment's PlayStation 5? Absolutely. What's that? You want more crack seller? <laughs> this is good. Join your lords on Twitter at The Crack Seller and Facebook.com slash The Crack Seller. Hey. You over there. Are you a straight-up Chad or a strong woman? Well, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcasting app. Or, if you're a straight-up beta cuck, find us on YouTube with the rest of the Cloud Chasers. And we're back with our preview of Sony Entertainment's PlayStation 5. Broadcaster Nichols... The hardware reveal trailer was slightly bizarre. Uh, it starts off with like a sort of like liquid nanotech, futuristic sci-fi changeling type of thing with like electronic sci-fi music. And then like at a certain point, it just forms into the actual console flattens and the music changes to like some hip R&B shit. Like, oh no. You thought we were like your dad that isn't cool. We're actually that cool R&B guy. Like we're like Snoop Dogg, video games dog. So uh so yeah, like us please. And by the way, the PS5 is a fucking Xbox 360. What the fuck happened, broadcaster Nichols? I demand answers. It honestly even though it hasn't it doesn't look anything like it. It reminds me of how exotic the PS3 looked. Even the new controller. You know, like while the, the controller is like <laughs> I felt like should have happened a long time ago. I don't, I don't really care about the controller too much. I want, I have to get it in my hands to feel it. Yeah. Really criticize it too much, but I'm surprised. That, I mean, just the, just the shape of it. I'm like, all right, you took your dual controller and you applied some of the ergonomics of an Xbox controller. You made a hybrid. I get it. Like, wow. 2020. That's your big move. <laughs> yeah. Well, my well, I'm calling it now. I think the new Xbox is going to look more like a PlayStation now because PlayStation went the opposite route. I think Microsoft's going to be like, all right, you know what? Fuck that shit. Uh, we're going to make our new Xbox look like the goddamn PS2. Enjoy that shit. Well, maybe. I mean, the I'm Xbox you, Series X already looks like a black tower, right? I mean, both of them look really unique. They're both pretty outlandish in relativity to their predecessors. So I think this console generation in general is just kind of they're going with these out out there exotic. Well, PS5's look is a lot more exotic than Xbox Series X. But yeah, <clears throat> they want you to feel like you're in the future. You can tell with the PS5 yeah. that they're like, we want you to feel like you're in the year 2050. And that's funny you say that because I was there for the live stream of the PS5. And I was watching the comments for a lot of these games that we'll talk about here coming up. But the main consensus in the comment thread was no one was impressed with the graphics. Everyone was just like, these just look like very incremental upgrades. And 
a lot of people were concerned with are these the is this the baseline that they're justifying for the lack of fps that some games are going to get (laughs) 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 so i i find that kind of funny when you say that you know they're trying to give you the feeling that they're in 2050 and maybe this is one of their ploys (laughs) to make you feel like it's futuristic you know like look at the shape of it (laughs) yeah that's an interesting theory i i wouldn't be surprised if that were true and I don't want to go too much into the graphics before we actually go into the specific games, but I will say I agree in general that the character models and the objects look no different. They look like the like the main, let's just say use the main character of each game as an example. If you take the main character out of each of these PS5 games we're about to talk about, they don't look like anything above a PS4. They all look like they could be on a PS4. Hell, some of them could be on a PS3. The environments, on the other hand, in my opinion, do look next gen. It's quite it's quite interesting, and I, I get why people are pissed about it. But at the same time, these games already have such huge budgets, and it you just wonder like how is like a moderate budget supposed to do anything anymore with the current monetary requirements for making a a AAA game? It's for it's sure. out of control. And here's something also to consider. You know, like what you just said is it's a very good point and that it's it's very expensive it's super expensive to make these things right now but you can almost look back in time and you can see where these type of things have played out before like videos for instance how hard it used to be to actually film a video to say film a video isn't even technically correct anymore you're not filming <laughs> shit but but it lends to the idea of the difference and difficulty that the same uh, product or how hard it was to get the same product. You know, now a kid can just pick up their smartphone and shoot a TikTok video and they got millions of views, right? That was inconceivable back then. But now it's just a matter of fact. It's just, it, that is what it is. Gaming will someday get there or some form of that where it will be so easy to make video games that then we'll start to see what we're talking about blossom again. Well, you'll see out of the box creativity and things pushed or the different um, envelopes pushed that you typically don't because now you don't have to worry about putting a million dollars into just, you know, having people think about the, the character models anymore. You can have a fucking algorithm supercomputer machine in your pocket or whatever. Just be like, well, what do you want it to look like? And you just say it like Google this. <laughs> and fucking, it just creates this game for you, right? <laughs> You'll, honestly, that's pretty extreme. But I'm just saying as technology gets better, I think that's when we'll start to see gaming have that second golden age, you know, where we'll start to see um, graphical jumps. Maybe maybe not graphical <laughs> jumps, but maybe, you know, it just matters. Because when a computer or when an algorithm or an AI or whatever is going to be involved with generating this graphics and you don't have to have someone slave over every pixel anymore, it's a game changer. You might see the graphics pushes you're thinking about, you know, like hollow, the hollow deck experience is definitely not going to be generated by hand. <laughs> you know, no, I, I guess is what I'm really trying to say. <laughs> that is, that is for sure. It's, it's interesting. Uh, the cheap version 
of the console, the aka the entry version, no longer has an optical drive. So it is a net box. It is a you are leasing your games from now on paradigm shift. And they're still offering the original version with the optical drive, and they're still letting you buy games for the holdouts, but this is a push. They're make they're starting to make the push. They don't want you to own your video games. They don't. Well, well consider this. It's only Sony doing it. It's not Xbox. I don't think Xbox has a discless version. And I mean, I don't think it's going to do well. I think it's just an experiment to gauge the audience to see how many people actually would buy it. But something tells me the disc-based version is going to be the highest demand. It'll be interesting to see, that's for sure, because I think that a lot of people are kind of just in a daze about this whole situation, and they just go along with it, and they think, oh, well, I'm buying it, you know, they're not, just because I don't actually own a physical copy doesn't mean that they're going to be mean and, you know, take the rights to my digital copy away someday. Oh, no, it absolutely does mean that will happen. That's already been happening today, where people are getting their game rights taken away. Games are leaving platforms. Servers are shutting down. Support is being dropped. It's, well, not not to mention that it's it's also a form to combat piracy and hacking. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have a physical copy of the game that you can just play, then when you're banned or found out for bad behavior or whatever you got banned or restricted for, all your games are on that account. Yep. And there's already been a president set with companies like Nintendo, for instance, where they caught Switch modders, and you know there's a bunch of t- fucking. Uh, downloaded games on that account and they're just like kick rocks <laughs> you broke our rules and now we're taking all your shit away <laughs> so i mean it's that aspect too i think companies love it they're just like sweet now it's another way to make sure we can you know curb piracy and modders and shit like that yeah yeah i don't like it it's a. Uh... I've never liked the digital ownership platform. I've never liked the leaseier games future that the the publishers and the game console developers all want desperately. And Microsoft, the reason the Xbox One flopped is because Microsoft tried to do this via a different method, but still to the same effect, where they weren't letting you sell used games. You wouldn't, you, like, they literally would not let you sell your game. So that your game was locked to you. There was no used game market. And that is literally one of the reasons the Xbox One flopped. Now, <laughs> you can't you can't sell a digital version of a game at, at a GameStop, can you? Or anywhere. Like, you, you can't just take it and say, no, hey, I want to sell this game. You cannot do it. Think about it like this. If the entire generation, starting with the NES going all the way forward, imagine that they were all digital only. Like this future they want us to have. Imagine that it started with the NES and that we're here now with the PS5. Do you, what, what do you think would have happened to those old consoles? You think they would have let you keep your NES digital copies of all that shit? Or do you think they would have revoked it and said, hey, rebuy it on the Nintendo Switch? Because it's an interesting question. It's an easy question. Sure. You know the answer. Switch has a digital market. They are reselling you NES and SNES games on a subscription model. 
that could not be possible in this digital paradise version of what they would want you to believe, where, oh, it, it, you know, you don't actually own anything, but we're never going to take it away, you know, you'll have it forever, dot, dot, dot. No, no, they want you to keep rebuying the same shit. You've seen it throughout history. Oh, for sure. Believing that they will just be altruistic about this shit is malarkey. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, that's why I'm I'm just straight up against a pure digital storefront, period. The moment consoles go purely digital, I'm just not going to be a console player anymore. It's as simple as that. Miles Morales, uh, the first game that we'll be talking about in the reveal impressions. I don't mind Miles Morales. I don't mind woke Spider-Man because Miles Morales, he is a real character. Like he, he isn't like some post 2015, uh, woke stand in, you know, this isn't like the type of shit that we character too. Yeah. He, he is an OG and he is legitimate. So I have no problems with that at all. I think my main problem with this game is that it seems like they're just cashing in on timing with like the whole race riots thing happening oh, perfect. with all this like black lives matter business going on all of a sudden Sony just happens to be rolling out miles Morales in this game, which I have found out that is just an expansion to the PS4 Spider-Man. It's, oh, it is. It is. Yeah. It's the exact same game just with new content. You know what I mean? Like it's the same engine. Yeah. I didn't get that impression at all. It looks just right. like a brand new Spider-Man game to me. Well, I mean, people were saying that then the studio itself came out and said, this is just a, a, something on top of the original Spider-Man. Like they came out with temper enthusiasm. So it, so I'm paraphrasing. Is? I am paraphrasing because I don't know the exact quote, but I know that everyone was considering this a brand new Spider-Man. And then they came out with their with their own little message about it, kind of trying to temper enthusiasm. Be like, well, it is a new Spider-Man, but it is just on top of the existing experience from the PS4 version. So take that That's- as you will. I don't know exactly what's going on with this Miles Morales game. But to me, it seems like an expansion and not like an actual brand new game. Well, yeah. Well, that being said, that sounds like it's actually just an ex- it truly is just an expansion. Well, because when I was watching the reveal stream, they straight up that made it look like it was its own game. Exactly. Like this was the next John. This was the next gen for Spider-Man. It did. And that's why they came. They kind of came out. And because I, I think that they didn't want to be accused of what uh, Ubisoft was when Watch Dogs came out. Everyone thought Watch Dogs was going to be this thing, and then when it came out, everyone's like, this isn't the fucking shit I saw at E3. What the fuck is this? I think that that's kind of... (laughs) Yeah, I think that's why they came out and said this about the game, is they just want to make sure that their fan base doesn't revolt after they realize well, that this is this just clear expansion. real quick before yeah. you make a lot of people mad. Watch Dogs yeah. was a terrible game. The original Spider-Man, whether Miles Morales was very an expansion good. based off of that or it's its own yeah. game was very good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But the, the tagline be yourself was not very good. That forced a very hard cringe and Oh boy. Uh, how about, <laughs> how about we just stop it with like the whole, you power movement you're cool man you're the best i'm fucking so sick of that shit give me a fucking break moving on uh project athea what do you you think about project athea because it's made by square 
I found that interesting. I'd never even heard of this game. And uh, what, what did you think about what, was what the we project saw? of Theo one again? I'm forgetting. Which it, one was that? It was the one with the chick who was like j- teleport jumping, like from plateau to plateau, kind of like uh, watching uh, Kakashi teleport through the trees in Naruto. It, it was really kind of janky looking. It looked very early, but uh, it, it, it had like. Like, remember, like, in the beginning, there was a dog that was, like, a demon dog that had, like, weird demon stuff in its stomach, like, moving around. Like, it had, like, some sort of creature living inside of it. And it oh, seemed yeah, like yeah. all the all the creatures were somehow, like, possessed by demons or something. At a very RPG-esque world. Lots of fog. And uh, I, no, there really I don't wasn't have much a lot. to say about that. There wasn't a lot going on with that. It looked very just much like a, a WoW trailer. You know, kind it's of just like, look at me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the game is. Like, it looked like it might be an action RPG. But at the same time, every I feel like every game now, you just kind of have to worry that it might be a walking simulator. I think it's the next mist. <laughs> the next mist. For sure. Well, uh, that fucking crazy demon dragon at the end is definitely pretty hardcore for mist, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep that prediction on ice broadcaster nickels. <laughs> Moving on to Ratchet and Clank. Uh, what do you think about that? Because I, for my money, Ratchet and Clank was one of the better looking games in the entire presentation. No doubt. I, I thought it was going to look dope. It honestly made me want to see a next gen Crash Bandicoot. Oh, for sure. Right. As soon as I saw it, I'm just like, man, this looks dope. Why haven't they done a next-gen Crash Bandicoot? <laughs> well, I don't understand why Crash Bandicoot isn't the mascot of the PlayStation. Because it was early yeah. on. And then it's like they got cold feet and they dropped him. It's like, what if... It, dude, can you imagine Nintendo dropping Mario? It's such a dumb, weird move. Like, Nintendo stuck with Mario and it's paid dividends Crash Bandicoot was awesome. Everyone loves Crash Bandicoot. There, you do not find old school PlayStation fans who are like, fuck Crash Bandicoot. I hate him. I hope he dies. Everyone loved Crash. Yeah, they really did him dirty. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. But I agree that when I was watching that, I definitely was feeling some Crash Bandicoot lust. And uh, it's cool that this PS5 so far seems to be really emphasizing platformers again. Which is kind of like a return to the PS1 days, in my opinion. Definitely. Definitely. And I think it's been lacking for quite some time. I'm happy to see it. Yeah. And uh, the in-game footage looked really good. Like, as far as all the actual in-game footage in this presentation, this looked like the best, the highest quality. It looked ready to ship. Like, the game is just done. And it could be, you could be playing it right now, probably, if you had the PS5 in your... Well, no doubt. Because it's not. it's clearly not a game that's concerned with, like pushing the envelope in the graphics department no <laughs> talking about it. it's a game that's puzzles it's platforms they're trying to make it feel good you know that's that's the most true thing. <laughs> but that being said some of the worlds in that trailer when they're going through it and they like kept breaking into different worlds through this like dimensional whatever it is i i really don't know ratchet and clank well i don't know if like to people that are veterans of the series they know what this is but they're basically going through like fractured worlds and like you know, it would put them on a pirate ship or on a fucking roller coaster train or whatever. And some of these worlds looked really good. Like back to the environments, this PS five really seems to do well with making environments look next gen. And some of them in this to me looked very next gen. No doubt. 
Uh, stray. Um, what do you think about actually, stray? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm kind of conflicted on it because at the, at one uh, on one side of the coin, I'm just like, this is actually a pretty cool idea. I'm hoping back in the PS3 days, there was this really weird two dollar art piece of a game i forget it was called it was like shadows or something something shadows or something like that and it was just like this immersive art project that you could move around and there's kind of some weird uh, puzzles that involved you moving the camera in these like uh, cgi cutscenes playing out and you could rewind and fast forward and you could come at the scenes in different ways and it would, it would like shake and certain things would get unlocked and there were some animals in that game and this stray game kind of gave me that vibe, like this weird abstract art puzzle game that you're going to play with the, uh, through the, the eyes of a cat. That's kind of <laughs> what it came off as, or I could be completely wrong and tripping on acid right now. And I don't, I totally missed the meaning of the game, but it intrigues me. Yeah. I like it. it, it I love games that just try to make you think outside the box. It might not be <laughs> your cup of tea, you know, but when I see a, a game developer just do something no one else has, has done, I approve of it, even if it might be a shitty game. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even tell if the footage was actually in game or not. Like it's times I thought it was CG, but then it's other times I'm it's maybe this is gameplay, but I, I don't know. It just looks like a weird catwalking simulator to me. I The only thing I liked about it was the fact that, uh, you know, the homeless robot people at the beginning of the trailer, yeah, they're they, cool. their heads looked like the old school Macintoshes that were in my school, like when I was in elementary school and middle <laughs> yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. Their heads looked like those old school Macintoshes. So I was like, no that's kind of cool. But other than that, like, I can't imagine just playing a cat walking around robots and just like chilling and. Uh, hanging out i i didn't see anything compelling it looks like something someone thought up on drugs to be honest like there might have been a a heaping dose of thc involved in the writer's room of this game but uh well if all those if all the the employees at that development studio are sober you can, <laughs> i mean i guess i'll retire <laughs> yeah yeah uh returnal what did you think about returnal because that one i found really interesting which one was returnal that was the one with like the the metroid chick who like it was third person shooter and she was fighting like monsters it had like serious like r-rated metroid vibes that was really fucking weird that was um at the beginning it kind of reminded it gave me this almost Sigourney Weaver aliens vibe, you know, yeah, falling down on this planet, and then it quickly became something cool. the The time loop she's stuck in, she mm-hmm. has to figure out like what this mysterious enemy is that's causing her death over and over. I think that's pretty cool. I'm I'm guessing it's probably going to be all in your head at the end of that game when you finally play it. It's it's going to probably have some broader message for mental illness or something mm-hmm. like that. Oh, Who knows? God, I hope not. <laughs> I, the thing that but, stuck out to me about it was the the planet changing every day. So it kind of had a Majora's Mask thing going on a little bit. And you know I am an avid hater of Majora's Mask. But in this case, I think 
I might actually tolerate it if it is the Majora's Mask time reset mechanic because of like the strong Lovecraft vibes in the not only the planet that she's on, but the creatures on the planet that she's fighting. Every single thing you see her fight in this trailer looks like it could be something out of a Lovecraft novel. For sure. I think this is just all speculation, but I think the most accurate assumption would be that this game is going to be crash land on the planet, go down a unique path every single time, and eventually or inevitably you run into this force that kills you. Or maybe you can run away from it and successfully hide or something like that, but it's pretty much the unstoppable force that makes you reset the game. Kind of like Majora's Mask, where like upon the third day, you can watch the moon fall, and you the game resets to the first day no matter what, or you can whip out the ocarina and just reset time. Yeah. So it's inevitable. Is what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't think you're going to be able to avoid the monster. I think it's going to be the main mechanic. And I think that's going to be the actually like the main mm. point of the mechanic is that you're just playing the, the same area over and over and finding unique ways to get to whatever the point of the end of this game is going to be. Yeah. Which is interesting, too, because there, that seems to be a theme because then there's the next game, Deathloop. Look, which is also a time repeating over and over again with much different setting, obviously. This one being more like the purge mixed with the hunt with like some weird like cult masks and some Tarantino Tarantino stylization going on. Much different games, but they have like a similar little everything's happening in a loop. You're going up against an inevitable fate that you're trying to stop. Seems like a trend right now in the PS5. Maybe. Also a trend is wokeness, and we have woke vehi- vehicular <laughs> combat with Destruction All-Stars. Uh, broadcaster Nichols, oh, can we just have fucking Twisted Metal back, please? I was, Dude, I, as soon as you said that, I was like, man, a woke Twisted Metal, and I almost was... <laughs> that'd actually be pretty cool. See a bunch of woke retards like in a Twisted Metal game, like killing oh, each other in cars. That'd be kind of funny. <laughs> oh, dude, for sure. What was what was the name of like the like the Damien Satan figure from Twisted Metal that was always doing Calypso. the deals with people? Yeah, Calypso. Calypso. Yeah, I could totally see Calypso just going to like all these woke retards and be like, "Oh, you want to punish the orange man? Do you come with me?" Bringing <laughs> them all into this. Way. That would be pretty cool. I don't think the world's ready for that. Though. No. I don't think the world's ready for another twisted metal. Yeah, yeah, so a real one at least. <laughs> yeah, so, so Destruction All Stars essentially they take the the woke stylization of Overwatch and they mix it into like a sort of Rocket League esque vehicle system with lots of like weird traps and all of the cool features of the Rumble mode that is literally the worst mode in Rocket League, sort of like put into its own game and. Oh my god, does it look bad. That like if if I'm going to take a look at every single one of the games we're looking at tonight, this is in my top 3 worst. Yeah, I, I, honestly, it was the most pointless game I saw. Yeah. I mean, it might be fun, who knows, walking outside. It didn't look and fun. The cars and stuff like that, maybe it feels good, but watching it has just it's kind of like when Rocket League debuted. 
you know, I saw that and I was like, well, who the fuck wants to play that game? And then I played it. I was like, this is dope. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. I mean, we'll yeah. see, but I, I was not feeling it with that one. And then, I mean, speaking though, of not feeling it, Kenna bridge of spirits. What, what did you think <laughs> about this one? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Daniel, I'm putting my face paint on right now. My woke tribal <laughs> face paint. This was the first game. Don't get me wrong. If I was, this is the first game that made me think I'm just getting old. Yeah. And I just don't have the ability to appreciate games that are clearly meant for a younger generation. But I could not lie. When I was playing that game, it looked like the new, the younger generation. It looked like the new fable almost. When I saw it, I was like, wow, this is absolutely beautiful looking and it looks pretty immersive, but it it's like a, it's like a Pixar game for girls. It's a walking you know, like, simulator. I couldn't. I can't. I can't relate to it. I mean, but it looks fucking amazing. <laughs> it is the most beautiful walking simulator this side of the PS5. It's another generic puzzle adventure game that has no Dude, actual gameplay. No, the, there's some gameplay. Remember, there he was fighting like weird, like mythical creatures and shit like that mm. kind of like fable to be honest okay i mean maybe maybe i'm wrong about this but what i saw i'm not even sure that the the fighting we saw was actual fighting i think that might yeah. have actually just been cut scenes of fighting. i'd have to i'd have to watch it again yeah but the game looks so good i couldn't tell it what was gameplay that's the game true. Looked really good uh, don't get me wrong i think the art is fucking gorgeous i love the art and I just I just see this trend with these games where the art is getting better and better and the actual substance of the game is getting narrower and narrower and shallower and shallower. And I feel like we're getting to this point where a lot of these games are just a story with let graphics. me change your let me change your perspective a little bit. When we were younger, we had games like Spyro and stuff like that. Damn and I would Spyro. I would put I would put games like this in comparison to that, at least the style, like not maybe literal art style, but the audience in the simplicity of it. This is clearly true. Yeah. A game meant for young, young people. It's very good looking for its time. It's crazy good looking, but it looks over simplistic. It's not something that would catch our attention. There's not complex puzzles or anything, but there's definitely something going. I mean, I, I would, I think it's going to be on the level of games like Spyro and maybe like, the original Crash Bandicoot and stuff like that. Very I don't simple know. puzzles that any you know kid that put a little thought into could do. Nothing too crazy hard. You know, you're not going to see like extra secret bosses or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> no ruby weapon. Yeah, no ruby weapon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We're not the demographic for this game, but so yeah. I'll just I'll just leave it on a positive note. We both agree the graphics are fucking gorgeous, and you just like you imagine if you were a kid when this shit came out. <laughs> oh, for, dude, I, I, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, if I was a little kid or even a young teenager or something walking into GameStop for shit like that, and I saw that on the console, I'd play that. I'd probably yeah. be playing that for like an hour or something. If my parents let me do it, you know, I'm, I just like pick me up here, you know, whatever. Yeah. It, it <laughs> kind of reminds me, there's this game, there's this Mickey Mouse game that came out on the SNES when I was in like fourth grade or something like that, maybe third grade. I don't remember exactly, but I was in elementary school for sure. 
And I don't even remember the the actual name of this game. I just remember that like you played Mickey Mouse, you get like a fireman hat and you get like a fire hydrant and you'd use the fire hydrant as a weapon and you had like a magician hat. You'd get that and you'd use that. Yeah. And it was basically a puzzle platformer game. And I fucking loved that game so much back in the day. And then I look at games like this as like if I were a kid playing this, would I look at it the same as I look at this Mickey Mouse game from when I was a kid? It's no t- it's tough to know for sure, but it, it's. I wish we had games that look like this. One yeah, right. <laughs> you look at these graphics and you're just like, dude, can you imagine growing up with this? And then what your expectations are going to be as an adult? No doubt. Oh my no god, it's doubt. it's a tough line to start at right now as a kid gamer in 2020. I have to say. But uh, speaking of tough lines, NBA 2K21 broadcaster Nichols, I know that you are very much into the NBA. Please give me your thoughts on this detailed trailer that showed much gameplay. This is Broadcaster Nichols' surrogate. Broadcaster Nichols is gone right now. He would like to say, take a pass. (laughs) Okay, so so this trailer is just like a CG cutscene of a basketball player walking up and doing a layup. (laughs) That's basically what this trailer is. Let me finish that for you. Basically, what this is is a waste of our time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't care anyway, because I've been boycotting the NBA for 12 years. Fuck the NBA. Fuck the Oklahoma City Thunder. They stole the Seattle Supersonics from Seattle. They stole a piece of my childhood. So I flip the bird regularly to the NBA. And right now I want to say your fucking trailer sucks. It's on par with the woke vehicular combat that we were ridiculing earlier. Go to hell, NBA. Moving <laughs> on. Solar Ash, Broadcaster Nichols. This Probably is one an- of the most hyped games I'm looking forward to right now. Uh, it's it's interesting. It looks like one of those games, kind of like a, the Shadow and the Colossus. Like you start out riding like a black hole. Yeah, it has trailer. like a very uh, like huge, um, immense, like open space world kind of that comes off like shadow of the colossus i'm not quite sure if it's gonna like truly be like that as far as like navigating and empty as that game is but did you ever play hyperlight drifter i did not know so hyperlight drifter is this it's made by the same dude and this the art styles are very distinct and, and you can compare them quite a bit the point of hyperlight drifter was is it was a a story a game with a story about his struggles with heart disease. So yeah, it's like this weird, like fictional. Yeah. It's this weird fictional take about him and his thoughts in his head about pretty much facing his mortality. Because when you know, you have a bum ticker and you can just die at any point. It's, it's just kind of weird. He expresses that through the game and the, the way like these demons and shadows come at you in the game and stuff. You like, you play this warrior it it's almost like um it's 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 really hard to quantify but when you play the game it gives you that feeling of playing chrono trigger and stuff like that back in the day the art style mixed with That's just the way praise. the game the the way the game uses textures and environments and stuff like that you just get that real chrono trigger type vibe even though storylines are completely different and when i saw solar ash I immediately knew it was from the guy. Even before I saw uh, the confirmation that it was from the same studio, I was just like, this is Hyper Light Drifter creator. I knew it immediately. (laughs) 
Interesting. This is just like a 3D version of that game. I'm thinking this is like a, a more high budget 3D version style of what Hyper Light Drifter was. I think because Hyper Light Drifter was a 2D um, like uh, old school 8-bit game or 16-bit. Yeah. Game. Well, I'll say that the game looks a little generic to me. Uh, I appreciate the fact that it's trying to to think of itself as high art and it's taking itself seriously and not in a pretentious way. Like you can say that and you can say it in a very bad way when you talk about certain games, but this one, it seems like it's taking like the good version of that where it's really trying to be existential and intellectual and like high concept. And I, I do appreciate that, but at the same time, the graphics look like something off the PS2 for the most part. It's definitely an indie game. Yeah, for sure. You should definitely try Hyper Light Drifter. You'll like as soon as you play it, you're not going to want to put it down. I guarantee it. You're going to get a real, real deep nostalgic vibe from playing Hyper Light Drifter. Interesting. <laughs> a, a real odd nostalgic vibe. Perhaps I will do that. But there's one thing I will do for sure, and that is play the remastered Demon Souls that is coming out on the PS5. Holy shit! Praise the sun. This, you know, we all thought Bloodborne 2 was going to be a launch title for the PS5, or at least I did. I I just kind of believed that. And I just had this feeling that for some reason, From Software is going to be doing a launch title on the PS5. I was right and wrong. Demon Souls Remake is coming to PS5. And this is a genius move. Too often now, we're getting remakes and remasters of games that are not that old. And they're, they're, they're not waiting long enough. This game is the perfect amount of time to remake. It is Definitely. two generations deep. Yep. I don't and think it has you, so much experience able or so much experience is able to be tapped for that remake. Cause oh, now they've sure. made three other games on top of it. So no. much knowledge, so much experience since then they can just chisel like the perfect form. It's we're going to, it's going to be like watching the insect version of cell from the beginning of the cell saga <laughs> instantly jump to perfect. cell, totally skipping like the big fat, uh, muscular middle cell that, uh, you know, Vegeta bitch slapped around for five episodes. It's also an unsung game too. Because oh. everyone thinks of, you know, um, Dark Souls. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, no one ever considers Demon Souls. <laughs> yeah, Demon Souls it, was, it was way kind more of quirky binary. and weird. It yeah, was very it was, binary. It reminded me of... Uh, what was the minigame in Air Geese? <laughs> what was the name of that? I don't know. But it was remember just anymore. like that. Demon Souls reminded... I was like, dude... Did the people that made the minigame in Air Geese go on to become from software or something? <laughs> Talk about a lost moldy tomb at the bottom of a broken cathedral. The fucking minigame for fucking Air Geese. We're like, like, we're like two of ten people that even knows what that is on the planet. Nah, dude, you're underestimating the power. <laughs> you think so? I no feel doubt, like it, no doubt. Dude, There's I a f- lot of gamers out there who know exactly what we're talking I about. I feel like Air Geese is on like the same level as like Mega Man X Command Mission, where like 99% of people have no fucking idea what I'm talking about. You know, now that I'm thinking about Air Geese, that was such a weird, unique game. Fuck yeah. In all of time. And for its own particular time, that I almost 
think it's not real anymore. Is it <laughs> we real? crossed can road we, lines? Yeah. Can you go grab a version of that? Are we talking about something that doesn't exist anymore? <laughs> yeah. Is this like Shazam starring Sinbad? <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be. Uh, I think we should investigate CERN for the truth. But uh, speaking of CERN, their involvement in the latest Resident Evil. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> who knows look into it <laughs> so so apparently chris redfield has been working for cern this entire time and that is the plot twist yeah. you ever notice that chris redfield's size changes drastically <laughs> yep depending on the emotional stability of the people making the game mm-hmm. you he, know sometimes he... chris is scrawny Sometimes he's taking roids, punching boulders and a volcano out of the way to save his his Wakandan teammate. Um, And then he just shows up and he's like the size of the tyrant. I don't know if that was the video, if that was the angle they were going for, but when Chris Redfield breaks into that trailer, I'm like, damn, dude, is he the villain of this game? Like, he's like the size of the fucking tyrant. (laughs) Oh, I know. It was definitely broad shoulders, (laughs) but clearly they redid him again. Like Chris Redfield has every time he appears in a Resident Evil game, he is a different Chris Redfield. It is kind of hilarious how much they change him every time. But I I thought Leon's hair changed quite a bit, but fucking dude, Chris Redfield just straight up. I think there's body doubles coming in. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, well, like that, like, popular conspiracy theory about, like, cloning and that, like, all of, like, the people that were pop figures that, like, from our past, like, Eminem and Britney Spears and all these people that are, like, total whack jobs, they're actually clones of the original and that they kill them off so that they can control them and that like almost all these people are just fucking clones. Like Dave Chappelle is another dude. I thought we were talking about Resident Evil eight. We are, we are. And Chris Redfield, Chris Redfield might be this version of that. That's what I'm saying. Like maybe their take on Chris Redfield is that he's one of these celebrity clones that every time a Resident Evil's over, they cut the motherfucker in half and they grow the next one. And that's why they're all different. Two spirited penguin. That was almost as, Crazy as your tenant theory, all right? <laughs> it's pretty heavy. Yeah, well, I think it's heavy combining Bloodborne and Resident Evil 4. That, like, if you think of, like, all the potent concoctions of taking various games and merging them together, you think about RE4 merging with Bloodborne. That is one of I the don't... strongest cocktails you could put together, and I really I that. feel that from this trailer. Ah, uh, you know... I could get that. I know what you're saying just based on the castle in the background and like kind of like the theme of the village, but something you should think Are you about. kidding me? They're turning into beasts. Just like it's like the exact nah, same story nah, as nah, Yarnum nah. almost. Dude. You, hold on a second, dude. You you saw one okay. person turning True. into a beast. And let me remind you the game you just brought up, Resident Evil 4. What was happening in that game? Uh, I was wasn't blowing about bitches' zombies. heads off, and they were growing it tentacles ab- out of their neck. That was only certain people. Remember the, remember the Gigagantes or whatever they were called? Mm-hmm. Remember the uncontrollable ogres? True. I mean, in that in that uh, substance or whatever, the Las Plagas ended up fusing with the T-Virus. They ended up making like some other like G-Virus type spinoff thing <laughs> with that later on in Resident Evil 5 and 6 and whatnot. That sounds like a deleted track off of one of Snoop Dogg's 1990s records. The G-Virus. <laughs> <laughs>
the G virus, yo. But <laughs> but nonetheless, I think RE8's actually going to be going back to Spain. I think we're going to be getting a tie back to the events of RE4 in oh, a more traditional sure. manner. I think that's what's going on. And I think that guy transforming into that beast is like this, the new kind of like their, it's going to be like their callback to old RE4, but like the new age version of it, you know? There is absolutely no question about it. This is a spiritual sequel to RE4. You could feel it from the beginning of the trailer to the end of the trailer. Even when Chris Ratfield showed his weird fucking deranged new form menacing (laughs) over the woman on the floor, uh, I still didn't give any fucks. I was like, this is RE4. I don't care if that's not Leon and that's Chris. This is an RE4 sequel. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure you're playing as... I don't know. I keep on reading articles that says you're playing as the dude from RE7. Yeah, that's what I heard originally. But in the trailer, I didn't get that. Maybe I missed that part where it shows that you're it's in the eyes of that dude, but I didn't get that impression at all. Well, one I, thing I'll give Capcom is they're much better at doing trailers and not actually playing, showing their whole hand like oh, a sure. lot of people are. Like a lot of these trailers, they'll tell you the whole game's plot in the trailer, and it's like, okay, well, I guess like that's cool. I don't believe I believe this Chris Redfield thing is a red herring. I th- I don't think that Chris Redfield is going to be as involved in this game as it looks. And I also think that they're they're well, doing some to, shadow play. You need to play RE7 to understand. Oh, I'm not doubting that Chris Redfield's in the game. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that the way that they paint this trailer, they kind of make it seem like Chris Redfield's like a pinnacle of the game. Like he is like the crux point. The way they end it, the way well, they do. Like you said, he looked like the tyrant. Honestly, I, that was kind of the... Fr- I, I think it was very purposeful. Mm-hmm. I think... I got the impression that Chris might not be a good guy in this game. (laughs) That was, that was kind of the impression I got. (laughs) Yeah. That he might be like the new Albert Wesker or something. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if he was working with Wesker. I think Wesker's dead. Shit. The G virus doesn't, no one's dead when the G virus is rolling through. You're right. You're all right. You're right. You're right. right. That's right. And uh, looping back to death loop, this game seems like a dud. What do you think? Like my, my, my initial thought on it is they're trying too hard to be hip with this game. With REA? No death loop. Damn it. Stick with my transitions. Damn you. Oh, damn. (laughs) <laughs> i didn't catch that my bad <laughs> death loop i don't know death loop kind of seems like it, it i don't know it, it's a weird game to me it i i don't know i just it didn't seem very into it the art style was like meh and it didn't seem like it was going to have one of those like head turning storylines or anything like it seemed, almost looked like an indie game to me you know. It it does. It looks like borderline indie game, but the thing that stood out to me is that they're just really trying to cash in on all of the meta stuff right now. Like you have like elements of the purge, you have elements of the hunt, you have like this uh, woke. All the main characters are people of color, pox, and we have like this Tarantino stylization about it. It's just like I can just feel the money grubbing 
fucking suits in the office saying, yeah, let's hit this point, let's hit this point, let's hit point. This will make us lots of money. This will hit all of the cultural touchstones of 2020. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have much to say about it because it was pretty short trailer and it just, I don't know, generic. Nothing really special stood out to me. The gameplay looked like a poor man's time splitters. Didn't didn't look anything that you wouldn't see on the PS2. Nothing yeah, revolutionary at all. The The whole relationship between him and the other assassins seemed like really fake and tacked on. And like they're they're trying to position it like they're rivals instead of the fact that she's literally trying to murder him. It, it, none of it felt real. It felt very cartoony. And the whole fox mask thing was weird because that's like a Japanese thing. So I don't know if they're trying to imply that. This is like all the Japanese's fault. This whole cult. It's like <laughs> putting him in this time loop or whatever, but a lot Damn. of mixed signals from this game. That's and a deep uh, racial cut right there. <laughs> <sighs> but uh yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm not not too high on Deathloop. Uh also not high on Little Devil Inside. This is another one that's in my top three running for worst games of the uh the presentation. What what say you? I thought I, I thought it looked pretty cool. I'm a huge fan of of those like really weird art styles. I almost get like the um, I'm not saying they they are the same art style, but the same vibe I get from Studio Ghibli animations, I get from games like that. I'm pretty sure it's the game the ga- same people that did Journey, but I get the same feeling from like Little Big Planet and stuff like that. You know, it's a very very unique way of using graphics. It's and the gameplay also looks pretty cool too. I won't lie. The like you explore in this giant open world, and if you look at the trailer, wasn't very. It didn't show you everything, but there's some cool mechanics in that game. You know, like fishing looks really cool in that game. Yeah, to me, it just looks like Minecraft. It looks like they made a game for kids that grew up with Minecraft that are now like twenty year olds instead of twelve year olds. And nah. this is what they're trying to sell to, them, to me. I don't think that's the same demographic at all. It really? Because it, the, no. the animation style was blocky. The open world was very no, Minecrafty. It's not blocky at all. It's like all smooth edges. What are you talking about? Uh, it's all like super smooth. It, it looks, it like, looks a, like a Lego game, man. Like when I was watching that, I was no, like, this is like Lego what? graphics. Yeah. Nah, dude. That doesn't look like Lego graphics at well, all. Well, not literally, but you know what I'm saying. I would like, put it, it has I like would, a weird like blocky models. I don't know. I didn't like I mean, it. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I would put it more towards like little big planet, to be honest, the way the character, mm-hmm. like the character animations interact with the environment and stuff like that. It looks like you have like, like weird textures and patches. It's very kitty. There's like almost like this puppeteer almost effect to all yeah. the models. And shit I could like see that. that. Yeah. I could see little big planet as a comparison to, but uh yeah again this is like this is just like uh Ken Bridge of Spirits you know wrong, wrong demographic yeah exactly you're like we're like not the type of people this is geared for but if i had a kid like this is definitely a game i would get for my kid to play this looks cool yeah. like if i was 12 or younger or whatever like i'd gobble this fucking game up yeah that might be a thing too a lot of these games that i'm not high on are probably just meant for kids so 
that is a solid point. But a game that's not meant for kids, it is meant for us, that uh, I am not too much looking forward to is Horizon Forbidden West. I know. Uh, Broadcaster Nichols, uh, Guerrilla Games, they made a game called Killzone 3, which I, for my money, is one of the greatest first-person shooters of all time. It was for the PS3. It used the cell processor better than I think any other game in the history of the PS3. This was a game that looked like a PS5 game on the PS3. It looked so good. Now they're making this garbage. Horizon Forbidden West, which is a sequel to a game, Horizon Zero Dawn, which I stopped playing halfway through because how bad it was. It was not good. It was a God of War wannabe type game. The whole concept of mechanical dinosaurs ruling the planet and fighting them, I was so enamored with that concept. And I was so excited when I first bought Zero Dawn. It just doesn't pan out. It ends up feeling so shallow and... The whole storyline is just really meh. I, I was not a fan of Horizon Zero Dawn. And Forbidden West admittedly looks more interesting than the original. I like the robot elephants. The environments, again, look really good. PS5 really does well with environments. But ah, I'm just sad that they're not making a new kill zone or something that's more up to their level. I feel like they're slumming it with this horizon series yeah well a i don't think there's really enough dude fps's are so oversaturated i i don't blame them for not wanting to do a kill zone but i guess yeah. at the same time i've never really been attracted to horizon i didn't i never really played the first one horizon zero dawn and i never got like interested in it when the dlc came out i think it was like frozen wilds or something like that and when i saw the trailer for the new one forbidden west i it's like, you know, it looks dope, but it's just one of those games I'm probably just never going to buy. Yeah. You know, I just I got more. I got I don't got enough time for it. I'll probably never make it to it. I didn't know if it was a shitty game. I just I literally have never played it. Yeah, it's weird because like it's almost it's like God of War mixed with Metal Gear Solid five. It's a really weird mix of gameplay that on paper kind of sounds intriguing, but in effect isn't at all. Hmm. I kind of put Horizon in the same category as The Last of Us. It's just one of those games where I'm just like, I just can't do it. I just don't like this game. And I understand that some people think it's like the greatest thing of all time. But when I play it, I just don't lie. You spirited penguin. I think you have a problem with female leads. All right. I think you're (laughs) sexist. All right. (laughs) Well, if that were the case, then I wouldn't be all about Bug Snacks. The greatest game that... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let me start over. Great shouldn't be be assigned to this game. Uh, Let's go back to nonsense. Bug Snacks is fucking nonsense. It's wannabe (laughs) Nintendo drivel, and it stars like this weird... what is it like a walking walrus with an Australian accent that's voice acted by a female, even though it's a male character? This, this is a dude, weird. All right, game. so this is another one where the the chat on the live stream reveal <laughs> was very funny because as soon as this game started going, like thirty seconds in, everyone was like, "Should I be here right now? I feel like this is the chat room for kids or something. What's that? What's going on?" <laughs> like the, the game. Has 
no place with all the other games. This looks like an educational children's game that should have been released on its own time. <laughs> you know, it doesn't look like reveal worthy for the PS5. No, no, I was a... super perplexed by seeing this game. Yeah, it it didn't belong there. I don't understand. I, I just don't get it. Maybe it's I, I get that I'm not the target demographic. Don't get me wrong. But even so, I still just don't know why you would choose to feature this game on a reveal like this. But far be it from me to question the Empire, because they also brought us Pragmata, which is definitely the weirdest game of the bunch. And initially, I actually thought it was a new Kojima game for like the first half of the trailer. I was thinking, wait a second, is this that Skull Knight guy that he has in his like company logo? Is this like yeah, the second Kojima sure. PS for sure. uh, cl- exclusive? By the yeah, time I you don't... finish it, you it's pretty clear it's not. You know who uh, it is, though? And once I tell you who it is, if you don't already know, you'll, it, the, the space suit will actually make a lot more sense to you. I don't know. Yeah, let me know. The guy, it's the guy that did Dead Space, the original Dead Space. Ah, yeah. So that helmet looks a lot more familiar now, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So this is the new game from the people, the guy that did uh, the original Dead Space, which I will say stands out from the other two. Dead Space Two is really good, and Three was garbage, but Dead Space One is something special. Oh, that, it was. that everybody that had a PS3 knows about. Yeah. So I'm I'm super interested in this game. I'm hope it it looks really crazy. I'm hoping it can live up to it. I'm hoping this game has some real good potential to it. Yeah, it it was intriguing. I'd say it's one of the more intriguing games of the bunch because it doesn't give you really any gameplay, I don't think. I think it's all CG and well, it's all about the premise of the game. It's it's temporary release date right now is 2022. Yeah, so, so that makes sense. Yeah, it's quite far off. But you feel like with this game, you're going to get something. Like, you're going to, even if it's not, like, the your cup of tea, it feels like you're going to get, like, something of substance, like it or not. It looks so. like a Christopher Nolan game turned yeah. into a video game. There, that's, that's a great <laughs> example. But, uh, yeah, so uh, our final... Final game, the PS5 returns to the old school model of having a game starring your console's mascot come with the system. The <laughs> Astro guy. He was the mascot of the PS4, and apparently he's held over to the PS5, and he gets his own game this time, and it comes with the console for free. Interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, they did so, they did that kind of with... um. Uh, I think this is just the new age PlayStation Home. <laughs> what no this was a platformer this was a full platformer game no no, no. I, I know it's going to be something different but i think the natural baked in game that it is i think it's going to be like that new age version i think they're trying to make like this weird home base platformer video game starring the playstation mascot <laughs> yeah i mean it it's just like it used to be like nintendo games used to come with a mario sega games used to come with a sonic and i think that they're trying to bring that back and they're trying to make this astro guy their version didn't they already make a game a standalone game yeah they did i remember it was like some yeah this isn't the first game standalone game with this dude oh i've never heard of another one if that's true yeah it's like it's like astro bot missions or something like that yeah, Astro 
we'll, Astro uh, Rescue Mission. I don't something. know much about that, but this new one that comes with the system actually looked like it had some solid platforming. Like, it looked like a good game. It didn't look bad. It, the graphics were very, like, not trying hard, which is fine. But the actual platforming itself looked like old school style. Like, I liked it. It looked like Donkey yeah. Kong Country or something. Yeah. I did the PS5 launch felt a lot like the PS3 launch. A lot of weird out there games. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know. And holy female leads Batman. Every like almost every fucking game had a female lead. It's trippy. It was it, insane. <laughs> and the funny thing too is it's like they've shown an inclination to censor lately. And they seem to be kind of bending the knee to the SJWs and the game journos, quote unquote. I don't know, dude. Owen went in pretty dry with that tranny in the last. (laughs) (laughs) When you, when you see these female leads, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. But then it's also like, well, wait a second. All these female leads are white women for the most part. So where's the intersectionality Uh at Sony? Uh Uh Have you ever heard of black lives matter? Like I, I feel like these guys are just like, they're trying to attach themselves to the woke train, but they're doing it too late and they're just oblivious to what's going on. And it's going to backfire. I have a feeling that they're going to get called out for (laughs) this. Yeah. They couldn't give a fucking shit. They just steer the games in a certain direction. And then when they get backfired, they're like, all right, that's what the next game will be. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what's your favorite game of this reveal? My favorite game? I would have to say Pragmata, probably. Ooh. It's probably my most anticipated game. Hmm, interesting. My most anticipated indie game would probably have to be Solar Ash. But Pragmata is probably number one. After that, it would probably be RE8. But, I mean, RE8 is just going to be what, you know, I, I, I kind of know what to expect from RE8. This is going to be dope. It's going <laughs> to be but Pragmata looks like something that could be more than we've ever seen. So yeah, I'm interested in that. Yeah. RE8 definitely for me. Uh, I got goosebumps watching the trailer and just being like, Oh fuck, this is RE4 sequel. Like, cause that's my favorite resident evil by a mile. And I've, I've played RE4. It's like the only resident evil I've beaten multiple times. And I think I beat RE4 like four or five times which is unprecedented for me in that type of game. Like, I don't play those games very often, and definitely not that much. RE4 has a special place in my heart, and I just feel like RE8, everything I saw, it was the RE4 formula with a little Castlevania sprinkled in, and it just looked fucking awesome. For sure. Yeah, the hype is real for RE8. All right, so for the PlayStation 5, are you going to give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or the dreaded side thumb? We give it a side thumb. Oh shit! I give all consoles side thumbs now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna actually give it a thumbs down. I think overall this was super lackluster. They were trying really hard to be hip with all of their presentation. It came off desperate. Uh, I don't really feel like PlayStation is leading edge for consumers anymore. Like with the PS4, I felt like they were really had the consumer in mind when they were designing it, the price point, everything about it just felt like we got your back PS5. 
seems like, well, we have all of you now under our umbrella and we're getting complacent. So now we're going to start rolling back some of our consumer friendly stances and give you a, a little bit of censorship sprinkled into that sweet, sweet Xbox 360 redesign. <laughs> I think you're spot fucking on. You're talking like you're a surrogate for one of the executive board members. <laughs> and with that, are you ready? To go to our review. Are you talking about Steve Carroll's The Office 2 Electric Boogaloo Space Force? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I'm talking about, Broadcaster Nichols. Are you ready to suit up? Roger that. And we're back with our review of Steve Carell's Space Force. And the creators of this TV show describe it as the following. A decorated pilot with dreams of running the Air Force, four-star general Mark R. Naird is thrown for a loop when he finds himself tapped to lead the newly formed 6th branch of the U.S. Armed Forces. Space Force! Skeptical but dedicated, Mark uproots his family and moves to a remote base in Colorado where he and a colorful team of scientists... And spacemen are tasked by the White House with getting American boots on the moon in a hurry and achieving total space dominance. Broadcaster Nichols. Space Force is based on Donald Trump's real-life establishment of the military space division known as Space Force. Other than that, do you have any idea why this show was made and for what purpose? Was Was that actually part of the legit bio you were reading or did you just add that in at the end? (laughs) <laughs> I added I added the Donald Trump part. Okay. Right okay. I was about to be like, wow. I'm glad my delivery could fool you though into thinking maybe. Just maybe. You know, when I first saw this, I was so skeptical. I was just like, well, there's not even a chance it's gonna be good. Because anything that's even based on political fervor is just it's garbage right off the bat. <laughs> You're never gonna see anything funny, legitimately funny come out of it. But I was pleasantly surprised. It really does well curbing around what everyone thought it was going to mainly hang on. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like the hunt that we just reviewed. It starts off with a marketing campaign that very much indicates that this is an anti-Trump, orange man bad sort of mockery. Mm -hmm. And what you end up getting is something that, A, isn't even really a total comedy, but also, like, the way they portray it is, like, dramatic at times. Like, there's some light Trump bashing, but it, it's not really mean-spirited at all. The The humor is very, very dry, but it's like, I feel like half the show was drama, and it was very politically agnostic. There were a few mentions of... You know, they they indicate things like they make little comments that you're like, oh, yeah, but it's not what they wanted. It's not what the media wanted. It's not what all the, you know, I don't think it's I don't think it's what anyone wanted. No, it's not. I think I think to be honest, it does have an 8.0 user rating. Yeah, it is the exact opposite of The Last of Us 2. (laughs) It has a great audience rating and a very bad media rating. 
That's a great fucking. Well, we, we know why it has a, a bad media rating because it did called Space Force and it didn't shit on yeah. a particular somebody enough. No, they make a <laughs> but, few jokes about Donald Trump. They don't actually name him, but they make a few jokes implying, you know, lots of Twitter jokes. Uh, but it's not really negative in general about the space force they portray the space force kind of admirably and you it's almost like the bad news bears or the mighty ducks that's how you end up looking at this team of kind of goofballs you're like well no the space force isn't like bad they're like a group of lovable losers (laughs) yeah for sure for sure well i think they played on the infantile uh, organization angle you know like mm-hmm. I thought they did really well because when you're a new group and you have as much scrutiny as the real life organization Space Force is facing, you, there's a lot of good room for comedy to be made there. And this is kind of where I'm kind of torn between worlds because a I don't like to see anybody making a giant political stunt out of a whole series. You know, if you want to make a statement in one episode or whatever, but to like just make the agenda of something your political views or whatever, whoever's political views, I think just takes away over time. But in this particular example, space force, it's almost kind of a shame. They didn't make fun of themselves more. Like I felt like they were almost holding back more because they knew they'd be criticized if they became too political. So they were almost too reserved and almost made it a little too dramatic. Because they were afraid of making the wrong joke, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely. really tame. There wasn't out it of was. all. The, I think well, how many episodes were there? Ten. Ten episodes. Yeah, ten episodes. They had fucking John Malkovich. John Malkovich was on, in this show every episode, and I'm calling it tame. Yeah, I know. I'm it's it so tame weird right now. It's yeah. Weird. It's very weird. <laughs> this is definitely hit John Malkovich's. Like the cast is full of people you recognize, but barely. Like a lots of C listers. But then you have Steve Crow and John Malkovich, two people that basically everyone on the planet knows who they are, and they're both the weirdest characters either of the two actors have ever played. John Malkovich, I I'll, I'll save that for the spoilers, but. Let's just say that this is not what you're expecting from John Malkovich or Steve Carell for multiple no. reasons. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Especially if you're like, I've heard a lot of people comparing uh, Michael Scott, the character Michael Scott, to Steve Carell's character in Space Force. I just don't get that at all. Like, he does not seem like a Nothing Michael Scott like. character. Michael Scott be- was a piece of shit. His character in Space Force is more of a man. Like, he's more of a stand-up individual in every single way. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. I was just like, (laughs) the only thing him and Michael Scott have in common is his approach to women. (laughs) 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 I think that's the only only similarity. (laughs) Yeah, and then uh, Jimmy O. Yang, who's like the new darling of comedian actors in Hollywood for reasons I don't get... He was really funny in uh, the first season, maybe the first two seasons of Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah, dude. But, dude, I don't know if you've seen any of his other stuff other than those two seasons of Silicon Valley, but it's all bad. He is exposed when he's put in normal roles. This this show, he was like the weak point of this show, in my opinion. I think he was one of the least entertaining characters in the entire show. What do you think? 
I I would definitely say he's one of the least entertaining. And, you know, to go back to the first two seasons of Silicon Valley with him, I honestly, I'm not going to shit on him because I always, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you're, you can be a good actor and be given a shitty role, (laughs) you know, like you can only can do so much with how you're supposed to act. But nonetheless, in Silicon Valley, I don't think that really merited him getting more roles because he was playing off TJ Miller. Oh yeah. He wasn't funny by himself. Nope. Him with TJ Miller was fucking hilarious. They played off each other very well. That's what Mm -hmm. made that organic and funny. (laughs) Doesn't mean he's an epic standalone actor. (laughs) Yeah. Now he's getting all these big starring roles in movies. He's getting comedy specials and shit. And I'm just like sitting here, Dude, this guy isn't really funny. He had one excellent role written by a legend, Mike Judge, played off of T.J. Miller, who's like a, another comedic legend. Like, you guys are, I don't understand where this heat's coming from. Let's be honest, T.J. Miller made that series. <laughs> he did, and that's why as soon as he left, it just <laughs> yeah, fell off exactly. a cliff. Holy crap. I mean, as soon as you heard T.J. Miller bring up the incubator for the first time, you're like, all right, this series is special. <laughs> There's something special going on here. <laughs> Dude, those those early seasons of uh, Silicon Valley, like I'll put those up against any sitcom. Like Those were just really, really high-tier sitcom no seasons. Doubt. No doubt. Uh, up there with Seinfeld, in my opinion. I, I, I hold them in very high regard. But either way, Jimmy O. Yang, he is not good in this. Uh, I, probably one of the most forgettable characters. And there's a few forgettable characters in this show. Special effects were a lot better than I expected. They they didn't really phone them in. Like the They looked better than the, the moon landing. You know, the real moon landing. What do you think about that broadcasting? <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I wasn't like blown away, but I did. I did think that as soon as the door opened, I was just like, I was like, yes, I mean, this looks like a really high budget version of the moon. Like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <sighs> All we're saying is look into it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, lots of commercial licensed music. Which I thought was odd because usually sitcoms have zero licensed commercial music. Very rarely do they even have one song. But this show had like three, right? You know, I didn't really pay attention to it. But At I will two, say this, maybe this series is very high budget. I mean, they got Steve Carroll, John Malkovich, Jimmy O. Yang. Who else they got? The, the, the other high generals. They're not like A-list <laughs> actors, but some of them are they're well paid. They're not. They're not cheap. They're, cheap actors. They're those and people that you recognize that you've seen in a hundred things, but you have no idea what their name yeah. is. Even the one-off like characters, they're all from. They're all well known. Like D, I forget her name from Always Sunny. Uh, yeah, um, she was just a one-off character in one of the episodes. I mean, she's not again A list or maybe even B list. I'm not. I'm not trying to shit on her, but she's not cheap. She's well known. She she's very well followed, you know, as they would say in the social circles. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they spare a lot of expense with this series. Everyone no. corner of the show has somebody that is somewhat known. There's not a lot of no namers. It's not no namers, but it's like barely known namers. It's interesting the way they approach. Other than obviously Steve Carell and John Malkovich, who like. I think John Malkovich is like one of the most recognizable names for our generation. 
if you just say yeah. his name, it just invokes this kind of like strong theater image for like the time in which, like if you grew up in the nineties, John Malkovich was just a guy. He was like the stone cold Steve Austin of fucking nineties cinema. And uh, Steve Carell is on the show, the office, which is literally the most popular television show of all time. It has like the most views of any show in the entire existence. Like literally it broke every record and just went miles and miles past it. So everyone knows who these two people are. But then everyone below is like, it's not like you have people one tier below Steve Carell. It's it's all like people that are like two or three tiers, but no further down. Like you almost recognize every single person in this other than maybe like his daughter, the, the actress that plays uh, Steve Carell's daughter. Some yeah. of like the the oh yeah Phoebe from fucking Friends is his wife fuck I mean, yeah you know, exactly like they got big people. Lisa Kudrow yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. like it's all these people you know but like they're not big but you know them all and I like yeah. that I think I I actually really like the cast of Space Force I think it was a good cast overall yeah speaking of the, what's her name Lisa Kudrow you said Kudrow yeah Kudrow she's actually pretty funny I'm surprised she doesn't get more roles. I, yeah. When I saw her, I was just like, oh, she's probably just someone newer and asked if she really wanted to do this or not. Maybe she knows like Car- Steve Carroll or something because I don't see her in a lot of things. So it was odd to see her pick up acting again. She has a really good deadpan delivery. Cold and yeah. sarcastic. Mm-hmm. She's like she's really good at delivering sarcastic jokes. Yeah, this and this does kind of feel like the cast feels like a movie more than a TV series. And it does kind of feel more like a movie in general, like a, th- a really long movie. If you put well, all ten episodes yeah. together, it's basically one really long movie, and it it's all like continuous too. Like it doesn't, it's not like The Office or any of these sitcoms where it's just like a different day in the life. It's there is an arc in this show. Yeah, Netflix is trying to slowly get to that pedigree of HBO. They want to like have shows that like high budget, big name actors. You know, people that don't do television for anybody type of thing, you know? Yeah. I think that's what they strive for. And I think Space Force is kind of like their biggest attempt. One thing I think a lot of people will have an issue with with Space Force is like the B plot of the show follows Steve Carell's daughter, General Naird's teenage daughter. And her, all of her stuff is just kind of like oh, I'm a high school girl. I'm having this conversation that's appropriate with being a high school girl. Oh, we're going to gossip now. Oh, we're going to joke about my Russian boyfriend, who's the biggest meme of this entire show, if I'm going to be honest. Overall, not nearly as cringe as I expected. But, uh, Broadcaster Nichols, are you ready to get into spoilers? No. (laughs) Never. I don't want to spoil Space Force for anybody. Steve Carell's impression. What do you think that is? Because as soon as I heard it, I thought it was an Alex Jones impression. Did you have that? Take? <laughs> I thought it was Steve Carell's version of Alex Jones. Literally. I mean, I could see that now that you bring it up, but honestly, I thought it was Steve Carell's best version of having a stick up his ass. 
<laughs> like literally <laughs> like literally and physically like when i saw a dog i was like what is wrong with this guy it's like someone strapped a broomstick <laughs> handle to his back you know like it was is this his idea of what a fucking a fucking high ranking officer in the military he acts like <laughs> it was really jarring at first but i don't know if he if it got better over time or if i just got used to it but it grew on me like by the end of the show it. i liked it yeah i didn't mind it I, at all well, here, this is this is my theory. A, you got used to it. And B, Steve Carroll slips with that voice. He becomes a lot more casual with that impression. Oh, that's true. In some of the scenes, <laughs> and you don't pick up on it because you're not paying attention. But if you go back, you're just like, well, at some points he really puts on that accent. And then some scenes he's really light about it. <laughs> and I, I think whoever is directing the show is just like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah now that you mention it like he it's like he lets his guard down that's exactly. like how he signals that he lets his guard down is when he stop when he drops the accent but it's uh, very yeah i i really didn't understand the angle of the accent at the end of the series i was like well i'm not quite sure <laughs> what the angle was because especially at the final episode which we'll get to but like that's where he slipped the most he like the the whole accent disappeared. Oh, for sure. It in was, the helicopter. That might be why they're calling was, him Michael Scott from the office, because that's what he started yeah. talking like in the final episode. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Dude. yeah. yeah and uh, I was, I was, yeah. John Malkovich has never been more of a bitch in the history <laughs> yep. of cinema as he is in this. I couldn't believe watching this. Dr. Mallory is his character and Basically, this Dr. Was the Mallory, John Malkovich. <laughs> Dr. Mallory is basically the polar opposite of Cyrus the virus. Okay. <laughs> like there's this episode called the spy, which is one of the more mediocre episodes of this first season. And they're trying to track a spy and it, it ends up being the John Malkovich, the, the evidence that he thought he had to make John Malkovich, the spy, he shows it to everyone on like a public screen. It's just him singing some super lame song like karaoke style again just like well, it's a love letter to one of the guys from the the uh mars mission real oh i didn't even pick up on that jesus christ yeah. that makes it even worse yeah he's having it's supposedly that dude the main dude that was like being emotion uh an emotional shoulder to cry on for steve carroll when he's trapped in the the off the the mars expedition uh trial remember that this yeah. like the shrink dude. Yeah. That's who the love letters to. What? That guy. <laughs> dude, yeah. I didn't even pick up on that. That's crazy. Well, yeah. well either way, uh, my, po- my point here is that this is not Cyrus the virus on our hands. This, <laughs> this is, is not Cyrus the virus. <laughs> this is John Malkovich. Like, hold on, hold on would- a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I'm going to give my best Nicolas Cage impression real quick. Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine taking a fucking huge needle full of pure soy extract and just mainlining it. And this is Dr. Mallory. This is, it's comical. And I almost feel like John Malkovich only accepted this role because of how lame his character is. I think that he wanted to have a character that wasn't a badass on record. And this is it. This is him saying, okay. I am now Marlon Brando. I have one super lame character to go along with all my badass characters. Yeah. Malkovich is a is an interesting actor. 
because I don't want to go off too much uh, off the rails, talk about John Malkovich in particular, but <laughs> this is a good example of what I'm going to bring up in Hollywood. There's a thing, uh, such a thing as typecasting, right? Oh yeah. Where you're use a very specific role. Vince Vaughn is a very good example of that. Matthew McConaughey in the beginning of his career, not so much nowadays, but the the Matthew yeah. McConaughey most people think and know of played pretty similar roles. But nonetheless, I digress. John Malkovich is that, but in a very unique form. He, his personality is applied to a character. And this is a very, whereas the other way around where they're just like, no, I want Vince Vaughn to play in this movie. You know, this is Vince Vaughn. I know I'm calling him this character, but he's just acting like, I just want him to act like Vince Vaughn. Mm-hmm. You know, John Malkovich has this very particular personality that he applies to certain characters. It's really weird. Like in space force, Mal- Dr. Mallory, you're just like, this is not John Malkovich. But then in certain episodes, mm-hmm. you get that very distinct John Malkovich rage rant aspects, right? Oh, yeah. And you're just like, oh. And he does that to all of his characters. Mm-hmm. John Malkovich has a very wide range of characters he's played throughout the years. But they're all in some way, shape, or form exhibit that exact same behavior, which everyone yeah. knows to be John Malkovich. <laughs> yeah, John John Malkovich in this is not a very like likable character. He's very unlikable. He's just whiny and smarmy and sarcastic and kind of just bitchy. But he's they're pretentious. Yeah. But there is this great moment, and it's when they contact the Chinese scientists, and John Malkovich is all front and like. Yo, you know, us scientists, we all know each other. You know, let me handle this. Uh, we're boys, right? We're boys. Just let me talk to him. And they let him talk to him. And this Chinese scientist makes fun of him. He disses him. He acts like he doesn't know who he is. Just it basically just fucking stomps on his fucking ego in front of the entire Space Force on this giant screen. This is followed by a scene with John Malkovich getting drunk on whiskey in his office, just ranting about this Chinese scientist who dissed him and just like saying, oh, it's the most I'm, John Malkovich thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you don't know me. I will fuck you up. Like just, <laughs> it was, it was really good. And it was really John Malkovich, but it was like the only time in the entire show that you got like that real taste of what you think of as John Malkovich. For sure. That was the pure John Malkovich moment. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the other guy I really like a sea level guy is the air force general. When they're about to review Steve Krell's failure with the first blow up in the first episode with the mission failing, and everything he's all like kneel before me. And he's like, what? <laughs> I will show mercy upon you at the review board meeting. If you kneel, now and should vow your loyalty or whatever <laughs> like there's a lot of like standalone scenes in this show that are fucking hilarious and brilliant it's a shame they couldn't string a few more of them but there are a few just like this one where you're just like this is what i wanted from space force well they got one thing right and i think any military person will i'm not military or anything i'm not claiming to be but i've noticed there's an ongoing joke that if you're military and you're not in the Navy, you make fun of the Navy. 
The mm-hmm. Navy's the joke, yeah. right? <laughs> tip to tip to butt, just how they like it. That seems to be a joke <laughs> that is prevailing throughout a lot of shit I watch. <laughs> and they made fun of the Navy in this, <laughs> and I was just like, "That's pretty accurate. I can get along. I can get behind that." <laughs> well, what was the one that the one they really made fun of was like the National Guard or something, where they're like, "He's like, finally, I'm not last," and they're all like, "No, dude, you're behind the Salvation Army." <laughs> Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was the coast guard coast guard yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they fucking they took a high shot at the fucking coast guard there's some really brilliant spots of this show that are just really funny and well written and For most sure. of them are revolve around b characters that's what's weird most of steve carell scenes are dramatic there's very f- well you- steve carell scenes revolve around like the reoccurring the main reoccurring cast which are like probably the least funny people True, but <laughs> I think the funniest thing that Steve Carell did in this entire show was in like the scene where they're being grilled by the the Nancy Pelosi stand-in and the AOC stand-in. He's trying to signal to John Malkovich to step in, and he's just like sitting there going tap 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 tap, like you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that was like the funniest scene with him in the entire show. I feel like, and it was like nothing. It was just him doing a little weird. Uh, kind of physical improv humor. Well, again, I think that's a good example of their hands being a little too too tied yeah. with the idea of making the wrong joke in the wrong moment and pissing too many people off. Because in this age of cancel culture, you just one bad joke, especially with a, a show like Space Force. They already are setting the expectation for so many people with a certain ideology to have like this open range on a certain someone mm-hmm. and they didn't get that you know <laughs> yeah so if they dare were to make a joke that might seem favorable by any aspects well that's just that's execution and and they did in <laughs> the exact same episode that w- we just brought up like yeah. they portray it was very soft-handed it was very soft-handed <laughs> they portray AO- the aoc stand-in the nancy pelosi stand-in they're kind of neutral on but the AOC one, they were they went for the neck. They made yeah, her well, into AOC this valley a... girl retard who just talks like an idiot and is just a joke. They turned her into a joke. And I think that is why the media really hates Space Force. I think if you boil it down, it's the way they portrayed AOC, the star of the radical left. They made her look like a fucking fool in this show, way more than they did Donald Trump by miles. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> they didn't even really bring up Donald Trump. They they just they, they referred to him as POTUS. Yeah, they they were tra- and they, they, they very, made a very f- slight handed. Right, they made a few really light touch jokes about Twitter. Like I think yeah. the funniest joke they made about Trump is that they're like, "Listen, space controls our satellites, and satellites control Twitter." And Trump is very or and the POTUS. Not Trump. It, the POTUS is very concerned about space dominance. Like that was yeah. their joke. Like because Twitter goes through satellites in space, and it's like okay, huh, funny, but it's like that really wasn't going for the throat of Trump. The funny thing was is when he said the POTUS is really worried about space dominance. I was like, that actually sounds like something he would tweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. Doesn't it? Just think about that. You're the POTUS is really worried about space dominance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they they brutalized aoc in this and i, I found that really funny <laughs> i did and the obviously the media did not find it funny 
And there's also some other jokes that are a little uh, on the edge now with the whole uh, protest thing. One of my most memorable moments of this entire show is like the second to last episode, I think, where uh, the where Jimmy O. Yang's love interest, the chick who like starts out as like an engineer, but then becomes an astronaut randomly and then goes to space randomly. Very yeah. weird timeline with that whole thing. But she goes up there and <laughs> her line when they film her on space, making their spacewalk I is fucking died. <laughs> 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 it's good to be black in space and it was one of the funniest things in this entire Dude, 10 episodes and honestly i think that that their people are going to be mad about that joke and that's sad as fuck to me i thought it was the most gangster thing someone of her caliber could say on the moon was so <laughs> i was awesome. like that's gangster like if i imagine if i was on that mission and someone came up to me and they're like what should i say on the moon, I was like, shit, man. <laughs> say something gangster as fuck. You're stepping on the moon, bro. Just say Wu-Tang. Or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wu-Tang would have been number two right behind that. Yeah, dude, no doubt. <laughs> Another character I really liked was uh, F. Tony, Ben Schwartz character. He was probably my favorite character in, in the entire show overall. He was very oh, consistently you're well talking about the funny. assistant. Yeah, the <laughs> tw- the guy who's actually on Twitter in the show. Yeah. And he is fucking hilarious. Everything he does is hilarious from the very beginning. Like the show starts with him getting fired and sent into a gulag. And then they just like randomly let him out and give him his job back for reasons. Like there's no explanation why. It's a great character, a great art. Like when they were doing the one thing I really loved is when they were doing the space flag, I think it was like a middle episode, like maybe episode five or six, where Air Force was going against Space Force in war games. Remember that? Yeah. And he was like an on the field reporter. <laughs> that was really funny. Dude, he carried that episode. Like he was the best part of that episode. He's like tripping soldiers and she's like, oh, that's my bad, bro. That's my bad. <laughs> my bad. My bad. <laughs> he, he was really good. Yeah, he he wasn't disappointing at all. It's funny that I don't really like him in real life, though. So. <laughs> he, he's kind thing, of a flaming piece of shit in real oh life. God, but, yeah, he's uh, one of the uh, people that sits in ivory towers and funds yeah. things that destroy people's lives. I almost wonder if there won't be a second season of Space Force just because Steve Carell is going to pull out because of pressure, political pressure, not to do it. I honestly I believe that. that could happen very easily, yeah. But then again, he'd be a real hero if he didn't. Well, the thing is, is Steve Carell is one of these people that's like uh, posting bail for Antifa rioters. He is? Yeah, he's one oh, of those God. guys. So it's God. like, you could totally see him being like, oh, all my friends say that Space Force is bad, so I'm not doing Space Force anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame. But uh, you gotta like attach those aspects. I try to keep that shit separate. But Yeah, yeah you should. To, yeah. It's hard to fucking... Twitter makes it hard. <laughs> I yeah, really some true. some people on Twitter I wish I never followed. I just like it, they say never meet your heroes and they're not lying to you. No, for sure. Yeah. For sure, for sure. They're not lying to you. Uh the main plot of the series turns out to be a pissing race with China's space program. Didn't really see that coming, but now that like in retrospect it seems such an obvious choice to do. But like when you really like think about the beginning of the show and how it's portrayed, it's kind of weird how like the final half is just like this weird pissing match. Like especially the final episodes where you like literally see them on the moon passing each other in Humvees 
like gloating each other, like <laughs> warring tribes in the Amazon rainforest raiding each other's villages. It's just like really weird, honestly. <laughs> I mean, China and America on the moon. What's the what's the tension going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, unless it's a comedy, they can't have like guns, bullets flying everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one too because the way they portray the Chinese is in one way negative. Like they kind of portray them as arrogant little pricks that think they're better than us. But on the other hand, they also portray them as like really advanced and like better than us too. So you can almost see the the argument that it's pro China and anti China at the same time. It's, yeah, it's I weird think, like that. Yeah. It's it's funny too because when you say it, you got to really question: is it like some really subverse propaganda mm-hmm. <laughs> that the they Chinese government paid for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because if if you believe the M five M, then you think that China has a base on the dark side of the moon right now. We've never even seen the dark side of the moon. We have no pictures. Like, there's no proof it even exists. But China has a fucking star base on the dark side of the moon. What? Yeah, that's a- according to the, the media. <laughs> there were news stories about it. They they established a base on the dark side of the fucking moon. It's, it's interesting, man. Like, the moon Poor landing shit. is interesting. <laughs> it's isn't all it like, very interesting. Isn't it super cold on the dark side of the moon? Don't it's, you, like, free, free it, solid? <laughs> it's gotta be. But I think that they claim it's it's a non-manned base. Like, they have, like, a robot there or something. I don't know. I think that's how they explain the fact that they can survive or whatever. But I There's still... no pictures of this? No. There was, like, there was this mission. You don't remember this? It was all over no. the news for a while where, like, they were making a huge deal out of it. And they had, like, some token pictures, but it was sort of, like, high in orbit and not, like, actually on the dark side of the moon. You know what I'm saying? And they were blurry and shitty and looked photoshopped. So, like, I don't even know if they were real, to be honest. Huh. This 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 whole business, though, with China and space supremacy is interesting because we have sort of been led to believe by the media as of late that China has closed the gap with us on space and it maybe has surpassed us. Now, Space Force, we kind of have the same narrative being pushed, but in a fictional form. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say that what they're really trying to do. I think you're just in the end, you're just kind of trying to find something, you know, you're looking into it more than you need to, but for sure. Yeah. At the yeah. end of the day, this is a sitcom. <laughs> you go yeah. pretty deep, <laughs> you deep into it, which is weird. Cliffhanger ending. Very weird for a sitcom, isn't it? Well, it was my favorite turn of events in the whole series was how the series ended. <laughs> I think my favorite part was the fucking uh, wife's lesbian prison guard lover in the back, just <laughs> smiling like an idiot. Just like, I'm just happy to be here, guys. I'm just happy yeah. To be here. <laughs> just going along with uh, these treason attacks. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Yeah, but, it, was, uh, it was probably the funniest turn of events. I, I did not see it coming. Just him having a mental breakdown. <laughs> it's like, no, I need my wife. <laughs> yeah. I found it interesting that there's a lot of romantic relationships in this show, but all of them have zero on-screen chemistry. Like, every single one, you're just like, no, no, no. Even Lisa Kudrow and Steve Carell, which I like both of them. I like both their characters, but when you see them on screen together, you see them more as brother and sister than you do fucking wife and husband yeah that's pretty funny (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not good like they do not portray relationships well in this show and maybe that's intentional maybe they did it on purpose i think it's intentional i think you're just trying to stay away from anything someone can pry open (laughs) yeah 
which is a good reason why Steve Carroll might not come back. <laughs> yeah, and one of those reasons is that the character that he's portraying, which is supposed to kind of be a bad guy, because he's the leader of Space Force, right? Like, so you don't want him to be good. You don't want him to be endearing. His character ends up coming off as a genuine person, a good dad, in just like the most surprising ways. Like you, you think that he's just this douchebag. He sounds like Alex Jones. He's just like Space Force. Like you think he's just this doofus, but. I honestly think that out of all the characters I've seen Steve Carell play, this is the most genuinely good person he has ever played in a show or like a TV show or movie. That's pretty funny. You say that because it's so true. <laughs> it is. And it's so <laughs> unlikely, but it, it that's, that's how so it shook out. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> the Russian spy dating the daughter arc. I really didn't like that. It was, was stupid as fuck. It, Every time it happened, I'm just cringing the entire scene. Yeah, I think, honestly, the only reason the daughter was a part of it was to, like, make his, you know, family life a little bit more consistent in the story mm -hmm. and and maybe a little bit diversity. I'm not quite sure, but... I think the scenes with his daughter, with him, with his daughter, are good. Especially, like, the one where he helps her with her math homework and everything. Yeah. Like, there's some really heartwarming character. moments with them. But, like, when she's out on her own, like... the, the stand and shit. Oh, dude. Stupid. The final episode where she's at the gas station and she goes with, like, some meth heads to, like, a meth party. That was so stupid. And then she just gets all offended by it and steals a bicycle and escapes. I'm just like, bitch, you literally... Seen didn't even seem like it was a part of her character. No. It was so out of it was so weird. I didn't understand it. Dumb. That. that was so dumb. I was just like shaking my head watching it. I that, that was really stupid. Yeah. Uh we talked about Sweet D. She has an episode uh from Always Sunny Sweet D. Uh Caitlin Olson, I think her name is. I did not like her episode. I did not like her character. No. And I think this once again proves that she is nothing outside of Always Sunny because I've seen her in several things now and she sucks in all of them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too impressed with her. And I think the main reason I didn't like her character in this is because I kind of took it as a shot at Elon Musk. <laughs> That's what it seemed like, you know? Yeah, definitely. Did you pick up on that? I, yeah, I did, yes. They're just like pretty much making fun of space force and then trying like at the same time, trying to say in an odd way that Elon Musk is tied to the joke that is space force. I don't know. Is this, he's even lesser than space force. <laughs> he couldn't even make a successful rocket take. I don't know. It just seemed like a really underhanded play on making fun of a really successful person. That's pushing some really successful technology. <laughs> so yeah, they they used it to kind of paint Elon Musk as a snake oil salesman, which is exactly. it's like okay, whatever. I mean, he you can look at his resume and decide for yourself. I'm not going to sit here and defend Elon Musk, but it was a little weird and that whole episode was one of my least favorite of the entire show. It it just wasn't a great episode. She's just a, I don't know. She she's just always seems like She's trying to play like a bitch, like a mm -hmm. lovable bitch, but she's not a lovable bitch. Nope. She just kind of comes off as a bitch. <laughs> and that's why her best moments is when she's a hateable bitch in Always Sunny. Those are her best moments. She should stop trying to be lovable. She isn't. <laughs> yeah, Lean it's in. really weird. <laughs>
But uh, Lunar Habitat, that was an episode that surprised me. Do you remember that episode? Yeah. Is, wasn't it weird? Like, it, that episode wasn't even a comedy. It was like, it ended up being like a character study on PTSD. And all of a sudden, Steve Carell's uh, Alex Jones impersonation became like this real character that suffered trauma out of nowhere. And like, you, ha- it was just jarring and weird, and I didn't expect it. Wait, what do you mean by PTSD? Am I, am I not thinking of the same? You're talking about the one where he signs up for the... Yeah. The ha- yeah. Remember? Okay. Like, he he was, like, going through shit remembering his military days and, like, some shit that he did that he wasn't comfortable with. You don't remember all that? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Like, it wasn't... The like, counseling part. Don't get yeah. me wrong, this wasn't Black Hawk Down or anything, but, like, in a, in a show called Space Force that you assume is just going to be a slapstick comedy, you don't see an episode like this coming. I was very surprised well, I, by I it. I think that was the episode where... He kind of like that's one of the bigger building blocks for his character. Well, it humanized so Yeah, yeah. Well, it also it took him away from his super stick up his ass um, mentality of being in charge of the space force and doing things his way. Mm-hmm. You know, that was like his come to Jesus moment where he's just like, oh, you know, maybe I am a little bit of an asshole. I need to lighten up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what what's up with all the singing? Do you notice that? <laughs> There's a lot yeah, of singing. There was an odd show. amount of singing. I never get that. I always found sing alongs and, and musicals to be dumb, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Those guys know how to put a musical. Well, on. <laughs> the Nightman Cometh is stands alone. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Broadcaster Nichols, what was your favorite episode of season one of Space Force? Hmm. That is a good question. Let's see. Maybe. I think it was Space Flag. It was Space Flag or it was the last episode? One of those two. No. I'll take that back. It was Space Flag or the second to last episode. What's it? It's good to be. It's good to be back. She's <laughs> like, it's good to be black. Yeah, I think that was the second to last episode. <laughs> That's probably my favorite episode. <laughs> but yeah, my 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 favorite episode is the second episode, uh, Save Epsilon Six, and this was the one where China they launch a, a fucking thing, and China just has their own bigger thing that just like kind of flies by and then use like a mechanical yeah. arm to sabotage it. And I like this episode a lot for a few reasons. One, it's like very meme Like they kind of do like the whole wrath of Khan thing where he's like, China. Like, there's some like really kind of cartoony China versus America antics in this. But the real important thing is the space monkey. The space monkey was my favorite part of space force. And it's in this episode, episode two. They basically are like, oh, yeah, there's a dog and there's a monkey. And they're like, why? And they're like, well, we thought it would go viral. <laughs> I don't know why, but that just fucking cracked me the fuck up. And then they're like, well, okay, uh, well, are they still up there? Like, yeah, we leave them up there to die. Which is <laughs> like another really weird, dark turn for a show that you don't expect to be that dark, Space Wars. And then when they fucking find the monkey, right? 
They realize that he ate the dog. <laughs> Pretty fucking hilarious. They, s- they start sign languaging to the monkey to try and get it to do a spacewalk to fix the fucking space station thing they're on. And the monkey just starts <laughs> sign languaging, I want to eat monkey babies. <laughs> and you can watch him sign language this shit, and it's real. And you're just like, there was a level of authenticity to that when you watch it. <laughs> it cracked me the fuck up. The space monkey just killed me. And yeah. watching him do all the shit and like get aggravated with him and yell at Steve Carell and like Steve Carell like basically fights with this monkey at times, like they get into arguments. It's fucking this was like a shining moment for Steve Carell in the comedic sense, and then the monkey was awesome. And it ends with the Chinese capturing the monkey <laughs> and then it's just like steve Krell's like oh they don't get any information out of that monkey <laughs> like, yeah this, this was the pinnacle of comedy in space force for me like the the episode that made me laugh the most was episode two epsilon six yeah i, I mean now that i think about it i'd probably say five is my favorite just because i mean between f tony doing the document documentary <laughs> so on the field you know because that was probably my favorite <laughs> he takes the left look he realizes his comrades are down the emotion in his face he doesn't realize what's about to happen next. <laughs> you know? like that shit was pretty funny but also the the play on lockheed and martin in government contracts <laughs> and how like they're actually done like that was pretty funny like the what is it the army Got like state of the art carbon fiber, like death stranding exoskeletons <laughs> and fucking in Space Force got some clunky ass fucking bargain bin shit. <laughs> and at the very end, it's like a it's like a play on tried and true equipment, you know. Malkovich just comes in and he just hacks the, the state of the art shit and it just proves that the the shitty shit they got is maybe shit, but it's it's rock solid. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> he just yeah. hands the scissors to Steve Carell, who's having like a mental breakdown on the field. And he's just like, he's like, it's okay. Go have your win. And he's like, really? And he just starts stabbing them all. He's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. No, that was definitely one of the better episodes for sure. What was your least favorite episode? That's a toss up. I think it's, between episode three and episode seven. Episode seven, I think, is the one with uh, uh, Caitlin Olsen, right? I believe. Pick a side, Broadcaster Nichols. Yeah, I think I think that's probably my worst one. Is seven. I just I, I I thought that was there was not she wasn't really funny, and the concept of of her character, even her character was contingent on just being there to make Steve Carroll feel good at the end, Mm -hmm. you know? And it just seemed like a waste of an episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that episode is called Edison James. And I a hundred percent agree with you. That is also my least favorite episode. It was not funny. It was not dramatic. It had no character development for any character other than Steve Carell. And the development for him was fucking super minimum. It it was a pointless it was a pointless episode that did not need to exist. You could have cut yeah. this Edison James episode out completely, and you would have never had any idea it was missing. 
Uh, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're in agreement there. Uh, there are some other weak episodes, but none of them are as weak as Edison James. And it's sad because I love Always Sunny and I would love to see all these actors from that show do well outside of it. But for some reason, only Charlie can. I guess Glenn Howerton's now made an honorable mention, though, with The Hunt. So I'm, I'm going to put him up in the running. But really, if you want to talk about real success, it's just Charlie. Yeah, I feel like they're all playing the same people. They weren't always sunny, though. Charlie just got lucky. He yeah. was His character was more viable for a few mm-hmm. more movies. I think you're know, right about that. Yeah, they're all playing the same person. True that. I think the runner up to the least favorite, though, is probably three, though. Three I, was pretty weak. Three was weak, but it was I give it an honorable mention because that was the one where they savaged AOC and it oh, was that, just, yeah you are right it was just really funny it, like it wasn't really a great episode but it was just funny to watch the hopes and dreams of all the crazy people that really wanted this to just be a total left-wing propaganda piece like that's what they thought the show was going to be and you can just imagine the looks on their faces as they watched this episode and realized that it is not <laughs> uh-oh all right, Broadcaster Nichols, it's time for the hit, the miss, and the whiff. What is your hit, Broadcaster Nichols? Mm, I think the hit, honestly, is Ben Schwartz mm. as F. Tony. He was <laughs> <F-tony>. pretty. It, <laughs> I love F. Tony. Dude, he, he, I mean, he just kind of like, uh, he's the most consistently funny character. In the series, I think he is. He's very consistently written. Yeah. So I think, I mean, there's a lot of hits in the series, but I think he deserves it the most. <laughs> All right. Well, my hit is the Space Monkey. I fucking love the Space Monkey. <laughs> I just fucking <laughs> loved him, dude. He was fucking hilarious. When <laughs> I swear to God, like when he when he signed languages to Steve Carell that he wants to eat baby monkeys, I have not laughed as hard as that is on like any sitcom other than maybe curb your enthusiasm for years. (laughs) Like this was like one of those moments where I just busted up laughing and it's rare. Most things can't make me laugh like that, but there's just something about a monkey genuinely sign language, something so savage like that in earnestness and just watching Steve Carell's reaction to it, which that was a great natural reaction. That was some good eye acting from Steve Carell when, he, <laughs> when the, the the translator told him what he was saying. That was really good. <laughs> uh, that being said, uh, broadcaster Nichols, what is your miss? I'm gonna say Jimmy O. Wang because he was so prominent in the series. He just wasn't yeah. funny. He, he was forced. Myth. He was ham fisted yeah. in. They gave him so much screen time, and he did absolutely nothing with any of it. I went into that show being a fan of his, and I left it not being a fan of his. That's not good. That doesn't happen very often with me. There's very few times where I like someone going into something of like, ah, I'm good on this guy after I finish it. Very rarely. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to say my miss is actually Sweet D from Always Sunny. Just because of what you said about how they tried to force this Elon Musk sort of hit piece into her character... Yeah. A, she is not even one-tenth of Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a fucking super genius James Bond villain. She is a hood rat. 
Like this is not a comparable scenario. And when Damn. you tr- <laughs> when you try and fucking do when you try and go at someone's throat like that, you better have some fucking gas in the fucking tank. They didn't, dude. Like with this character, the the tank was on empty. Nothing happens in the episode. There is literally no ramification in this episode to speak of. Well, that was the, I think that's the biggest miss to be honest about it is that her character's plot in the story had some serious ramifications and Steve Carroll kind of just like lets it go. He's like, yeah, I know your shit sucks and I know, but I won't tell anybody. Don't worry about it. It's like, what? There's some people's lives at stake and she was Mm -hmm. just about to go through with it and shit or not people's lives. It was a test launch, but still, nonetheless, it's exactly. Yeah. And and if it ended up being a success and that lied, that could have gone on to kill people. And they were just like, oh, it's whatever. (laughs) Just seem weird. There, there's no weight to anything in that episode. It just feels like a lark, for sure. That being said, broadcaster Nichols, what is your whiff? Malkovich. Ooh, I think Malkovich is the whiff. I think he was yeah. underutilized. He was he was good, but he was just like, what are you doing? A gay fucking uh, pretentious doctor as a sidekick <laughs> character. Like that's not John Malkovich. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> yeah, there's there's some permanent damage to his legacy from yeah. this character, I think, and that's kind of sad. But you know, he wanted to do it. He signed up for this, so maybe he thinks that history will be kind to this bizarre performance. I don't think so. I agree with you. It is a pretty big whiff. It was a, it was a sad whiff too. It was because when you see John Malkovich, you're just like, this guy's gonna fucking be the crutch of the series. No, he had and one golden moment. He had one golden moment. He did, and th- and that was a great moment. But it was like one time in ten episodes. It was he was alone in an office with a glass of whiskey, and they allowed <laughs> him to be John Malkovich. <laughs> it was like a work release program from prison. <laughs> well, my whiff is probably out there a little bit. Not that you've ever heard me have any out there theories of anything, but. This one is a little esoteric. My whiff- I swear to God, if you think Malkovich is in Tenant, I'm going to fucking stop this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's very possible, Broadcaster Nichols. But no, my whiff is not using William Shatner's Rocket Man in this soundtrack. How could you buy three commercial tracks... You spent good money to put these known songs into your show, and you pass up on William Shatner saying, and we're going to be high, Rocket Man. How could you... Pretty good take. I I won't lie. It's a pretty big miss. (laughs) How, How could you not do this? How? This was like a slam dunk on top of a slam dunk on top of a slam dunk, and you just whiffed on it. And for that, you will be shamed forever. I think the only reason I think they wouldn't do it is because uh, William Shatner is political. politicizing figure. Back to Twitter. We're back to Twitter. Okay. Yeah. This all. See, that's the thing with Space Force. It all goes back to Twitter, doesn't it? Yep, Twitterati wouldn't have, <laughs> have, have been for it. <laughs> it's the only it's, thing I can imagine. Because that's definitely like, now that you bring it up, I'm like, man, people got paid to fucking fish through the sea of perfect songs. They had mm-hmm. to come across that. <laughs> oh, dude, are you kidding me? 
it even goes along with the theme of the show. For sure, like dude. it's perfect. Uh, well, not all things are perfect. Much like our official Joker rating system, <laughs> it's time. It's, uh, it's on its last wheel. It's a little creaky. We push it in every once in a while. It's time tested and kit approved. And uh, as you know, broadcaster Nichols, we do use this patented joker rating system for all of our reviews that being said on this system broadcaster nichols what do you rate space force i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a heath ledger straight down the middle i guess what i give it wasn't bad trying something new was good (laughs) <laughs> I still want the record to show that Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker is nothing like I just said. It was well way above and beyond. And I don't know why Listen. Heath Ledger is a C, but that's another <laughs> topic. <laughs> uh, well, Heath Ledger is B rank. Uh, learn your own I goddamn got- rating system, Broadcaster Nichols, for the love of God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, right, I just point out. <laughs> Whatever. <There's- laughs> I still think it's a low in respects <laughs> to what his performance was. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give this a Caesar Romero. It's a strong Caesar, uh, probably the first strong Caesar I've ever given out. It it is not a great show. It has problems. A lot of characters are very stupid. There are a lot of very generic performances. There is a lot of throwaway material, like we've talked about verbatim with the daughter. There, there's a lot of badness with this. However, there is a surprisingly small iceberg of good, and. I say that because I went into this really expecting a a Jared Leto. That was my expectation of what this show was going to be based off of what I had seen and what I'd heard. And I think it crept up a little bit past that. But at the same time, there's just too much meme stuff. Like we talked about the Russian, the the Russian guy. There's just a little bit too much of that for my taste to give it a Heath Ledger. But it is borderline. I'll give you that. It was it was tough because I like the show overall. Barely, though. Like, it's one of those shows where when it pops back up on Netflix, if a season two happens, I will probably watch it as I fall asleep drunk on the weekend. But that's about it. It will not be a show that I'm like, I have to watch this. I have to see every minute of it. No, definitely not. I'd be really surprised if it does... Now that I'm really thinking about it, I'd be really surprised if it does get a second season. I don't think this it wasn't will. that wasn't that good. It's about a controversial topic. It's kind of a risky thing just to put money into. Mm-hmm. And the big you know, star is just like you can just know that all of his friends right now are like, oh, didn't you know people think that's a pro Trump show? Yeah. You know, they're There's, saying that to him right now. Yeah. <laughs> Even though oh, it's God. not. It's not pro that's anything. So funny. But you know that's happening. You know these people are whispering that into his ear. And he's just going to be like, you know what, guys? I don't want to do this. It's bad for my image. And end of season two. That's my official guess. And it sounds like it's yours as well. For sure. And, and besides Steve Carroll, I mean, there's a few other actors that have the potential of going through that exact same scenario and just walking off the show. Oh, yeah. It definitely. And with that, yeah. we will walk off the podcast. This is our last episode. The crack cellar has been smashed into a different dimension. 
now the forge of misanthrope. <laughs> <laughs> Duel will rise. <laughs>